them how it works, Muddy. Real simple. This man's our boss. Because no one can beat him at arm wrestling. Imagine all the men who've tried. Many, many. Fourteen years, no one's ever even come close. Any new guy gets one chance. One chance. And if you lose, Renzo's your boss. But you can leave now. You stay, you lose, and you do not do what Renzo says. You die. So you decide. You stay and play the game, it's your choice. Looking at you, I'd say you better leave. What is this? Kindergarten? Nursery school? What do I get if I win? <laughs> you be our boss. I don't want to be your boss. Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. Ah. <laughs> Damn good cut for cough. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is I, one of your faithful co-hosts, Bo, uh, here at Duncan and Bo uh, Come Correct slash Duncan and Bo Go to Twin Peaksies. Uh, we have been unavoidably delayed here recently uh, in getting a new show out to you. Very sorry about that. Um, just a lot of scheduling problems and blah, blah, blah. But uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing the show all by myself now. Maybe that's what we should have done all along. Uh, Duncan's here, though. Hey, Duncan. I am. I am. I'm here. Yay. All right. But shut up again. Um, so <laughs> so the, we have three ep- regular episodes of Duncan and Bo uh, go to Twin Peaksies uh, remaining. This is uh, the I, I don't the next one is the penultimate. I don't know what the third in the in the series is the Tetra Ultimate or something maybe. The Tetra Ultimate sounds like the new like dilithium crystals and the brand new Star Trek series. I've not started watching yet. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's right. That's where I got it from. Uh, it's actually <laughs> what they use on the Orville. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> I, you oh, know, I, 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 let's just start with a, a tangent. Speaking of, so I watched the first couple of episodes of the Orville, the first two or three, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's all right. But I, this is the Seth MacFarlane, right? It, thing, it's yeah. kind of a parody of Star Trek, um, but it's not. It's not Family Guy style. It's not quite that broad. Is it, is it kind of like Galaxy Quest? Because that's um, kind of what I thought when I first heard of it, but... Not a little in in the sense that it is a comedy that is using Star Trek as its basis. Right. But it's much more a direct parody, where mm-hmm. it's like you've got uh, um, Seth MacFarlane as the captain, you know, the the weird aliens as the members of the crew, and... He's, you know, it it very it's so next generation. Uh, mm-hmm. I I didn't. In fairness, I've never seen like every episode of the original series because 
good lord, those shows are not necessarily great. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen all of the Next Generation either, but the ones I've seen, I've thought were were good to very good at at times. And but the music in this show is so Next Generation. Like even though I'm not uh, a TNG super fan, mm-hmm. I, I recognize so much of that show in the Orville. As opposed to Galaxy Quest, which is almost more about like the original series of yeah. the captain beams down to the planet and his shirt inevitably gets ripped and you know that kind of thing. And this is much more of the dynamic of the crew and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I don't want to get super deep into the Orville, other than to say, holy shit, when you watch that show, like like I said, I, I turned my back on the show for a second and heard a music cue, and I was like, good god, that sounds like that Jerry Goldsmith. TNG music to the point mm-hmm. where lawyers might get involved. <laughs> um, well, you, well you, I, I need to check out because you are talking to someone who uh, hides it well, but is like a like a Star Trek super fan. I mean, uh, I've watched all the original series. Uh, my introduction to Star Trek was the Next Generation, um, so I've seen them all. Uh, all of Deep Space Nine, all of Voyager, <laughs> um, all of Enterprise. Uh, so yeah, I've I've been to. I've got you know watched all the movies, some of them several several times. Um, at fifteen years old, had a Klingon dictionary. <laughs> oh wow! All right. You know, but what's weird is even though I'm a casual fan of the show, uh, between the two of us, I would say I'm the only one who's been to a Star Trek convention. Oh yeah, I've never been. Never yeah. been. So that happened to me. Oh, uh, there I, you go. I got to go for free, which is why I was there, and it was more an anthropological study than anything. <laughs> um, I, I basically, while well, my buddy Steve ran around and bought a bunch of merch, I watched. Uh, they had a theater where they were showing all the Borg episodes of TNG. Oh, nice! Right, so I just kind of watched those shows uh, yeah. while he was buying shit. That's it's kind of what I loved, of the, particularly about. Star Trek is that, especially with with the Next Generation, and then subsequently with the uh, Deep Space Nine, is when things started getting dark. They got dark, <laughs> like really, 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 really kind of uh, the the exploration of how uh, even even as an advanced civilization, that those kind of base level of conquer. <laughs> like of human, you know, humans desire to conquer other places. It kicks in really quick. Um, so yeah, I, I did, I did quite. Or the, the their, you know, innate ability to survive. Um, I, I really enjoyed them. Whether it was the Dominion and, um, but I still think the Dominion stories are fucking awesome. Kind of reminiscent of uh, what were they called in uh, uh, Babylon Five? It's like the Shadow. Oh God, we're dragging Babylon Five into this now. Don't you Jesus fucking! Mo- I will walk off the show. I will walk. <laughs> I will not come back. I tell you, I'm just. I've like, never all, seen it. I don't know. All of this that we're doing just now is a precursor to 2019 when Duncan and Bo go to Babylon Five. Oh shit! I, five, know. five. I think it's five seasons and about seven standalone movies. Oh, uh, I mean that's child's play at this point. Um, <laughs> You know, I'll, one other thing I will say about the Star Trek convention to put a little uh, cap on that, but the the big takeaway, and I didn't go into it with the attitude of you know nerds or anything <laughs> like that. I was I was genuinely interested to see what a Star Trek convention was like because it's you never gave those, anyone a noogie while you were there, no? No, I didn't put anybody in a headlock <laughs> and like 
give them it, like you know red <laughs> belly up? slaps and whatnot. <laughs> Who's up for a swirly? Right, right. No, I was you know I was amongst them. I was way outnumbered. Um, like I know when to pick my battles. Uh, but yeah, but it was like it was fully and and what was cool about it, it was like the 30th anniversary. So a lot of the original cast uh, was there. Oh, nice! I uh, at a reception that night because Steve had bought VIP passes. I almost uh, knocked over uh, Captain Janeway. Oh, you don't yeah, want to do that? She is such a wee person. Like yeah. I had no <laughs> chance. I'm you know like I'm six two, and I turned around and she was nowhere in my field of view. <laughs> Um, so, uh, <laughs> but what I'll, but I, and I also got to meet, uh, um, Buzz Aldrin was there. Oh, uh, I hope you didn't mock him because he'll knock you out. No, no, <laughs> no. It was very much a, holy shit, you're, you're an American hero, like a true American hero. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, oh, holy uh, shit. You've walked on the moon. Allegedly. Right. You're, right, <laughs> but I'm just like, you're a modern day pioneer. Like you're the closest thing that we have to an explorer. These days, and um, I mean, it was just it was wonderful just to shake his hand. Jesus Christ. Anyway, but uh, what I what I was going to say before I got tan like distracted from my tangent was that um, the the big takeaway from that whole weekend that uh, we did that convention was that seeing people like they were fully dressed up, like there were Klingons and Romulans and you know. Gleep glops of all stripes, and <laughs> they love that episode of the Gleep Glops. Yeah, well, the, you know they're one of the classic villains, the Gleep Glops. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, eating lunch at one point, and Steve was off doing something else. So it was just me, like I was flying solo, and I sit down, uh, like a, at this little cafeteria area at the convention center. And just kind of by myself, and I was eating a sandwich and whatnot, and just a couple of, like, dudes dressed up as Klingons came down and sat sat down and just started chatting. And I realized that was the vibe of the whole weekend, was that in this environment, these people who are sometimes mocked for their dedication to this science fiction show, this was their homeland. It was the mm. mecca, where everybody was on the same page, everybody was having a good time. It was the most like welcoming, warm environment I think I've ever been in in my life. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was true. Like if you're a Star Trek fan and you've never been to a convention, like as a non, I mean, I'm not not a fan of the show. It's just I'm not super into it. Yeah, but but it, even I was impressed with just the the vibe of goodwill. You know, because that's the best thing about Star Trek to me is the idea of this ideal future where man is. Like we have conquered our our socio political demons and are just now out exploring, mm-hmm. um, and and that's kind of the vibe of the place. It was great. So if you're a Star Trek fan and you've never been to a convention, you're like, what are you doing? It's it's the best. Um, you just, like a horror convention, but but horror conventions have more of an edge because everybody wants to get a tattoo or break a whiskey bottle over somebody's head. <laughs> um, or I do. Maybe that's just what I'm bringing to the show. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a little bit more of an edge to it as opposed to the Trek stuff, which was very much like, hey, let's all just sit around and talk about how great this show is. Yeah. Um, have you yeah. ever seen the have you ever seen the the Shatner documentary The Captains yet? I have not seen that one. I've seen like Trekkies. Oh, and... you need to watch the Captains. It's because he basically goes around and interviews like it sounds all the 
all the captains of all the shows. So you like you get him sitting down with um, you know Sir Patrick Stewart talking about you know, the, the legacy, how he got involved and stuff. And then he does like Jane, Jane Way and um, he, he does a guy from Enterprise whose name escapes me at the moment. But even down to talking to Chris Pine about, uh, you know, his kind of new take on um, the the kind of Shatner role of Kirk. But the, the greatest, the weirdest fucking shit ever. And it's to, I'll tell you right now, it's to William Shatner's credit as a consummate professional. It's when he sits down and talks to the guy that played Cisco. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just a fucking insane man. Like really, in real life, is just a fucking nutter. And um, their whole interview is conducted while this guy sits. What's his name again? Avery. Avery Brooks, I believe. Yeah, Avery Brooks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is all conducted. Avery Brooks is a apparently a very famous jazz pianist as well. Um, that was pianist and not penis. Uh, just stressing that, uh, right? You know, the sexual organ. We yeah, understand. not, not yeah. <laughs> uh, And like when he when Chatter tries to conduct this interview, Avery will not answer a question without singing it while playing the piano. And William Shatner has to join in. <laughs> it's just a fucking weirdness. All right. Yeah, weird... I mean, you sold the ticket. That sounds <laughs> the weirdest, amazing. The weirdest fucking interview in the history of the world. And I, I get the feeling at the beginning of what that, either like Avery Jones is just fucking with him, like just fucking with him, just to see what he'll do. Uh, either that or he is an insane man, which is probably more likely the answer. And like I say, to Shatner's credit, does not miss a beat, just gets in there and starts fucking singing along asking ask, his questions are asked in the style of interpretive jazz <laughs> you know, but in fairness and 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 i mean this with as much like love and respect uh as i can muster here like shatner is a ham oh is, but yeah but he's fucking awesome he no no doubt about it man i mean i think one of the greatest moments in television was that snl sketch he did <laughs> where he was he was himself at a Star Trek convention. <laughs> it was like the most slap in the face sketch ever, yeah. but yeah. it was also incredibly funny. He knows he like he knows himself. Yes, he exactly. is very self-aware. Yeah. He's They're- like to to the point where it kind of makes him like I think Shatner's impervious to to insult. I think he's almost at that stage now that he knows Exactly. What he, I mean, that's why he's released so many of those music albums where he basically just talks over the top yeah. of, you know, I'm a rocket man. Well, you know, you're like, oh, but he has a genuine you. love of of kind of rock music. There, there's a story oh, Dana I... Gould tells on his podcast where he talks about like accidentally sitting near Shatner at a deli uh, one one time in L.A. And is listening to the conversation at Shatner's table and Shatner is talking up the band The Donnas. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things of like I would never put those two things together, but that kind of makes Shatner cooler in my mind. Yeah, there's that there's that great um, the great skit from Henry Rollins' uh, stand up tour where he talks about recording. Uh, I can't get behind that with Ben Folds Five um, and uh, William Shatner. And he, like how he gets, if you've never seen it, is the greatest fucking thing in the world because like Rollins is just like talking about the infectious nature of William Shatner meeting William Shatner for the first time, and apparently they're buddies now. He like sees him once a year. Goes like uh, Shatner puts on some 
night where they all watch American football or something. And Rollins gets an invite every year to go and hang out with Shatner and his weird, eclectic group of friends. Uh, and you can see it on YouTube, type it in, Henry Rollins, can't get behind that, William Shatner, stand-up or something along those lines. It's one of the greatest fucking stories ever. And he just says that there's this, like, at the time, I think Shatner was, like, kind of mid-70s, this, like, a mid-70s guy with the, the, the energy of, like, a teenager just bouncing about the room, just being, like, immensely positive, and, like, no idea is a dumb idea, you know, just, like, working with it. Just, ah. So much time for that guy. So much time for that guy. And as much as I would love to continue doing this Duncan and Bull Trek podcast. Yeah, no uh, kidding. We we have, like, we've been away and we've started deliberately early at a ridiculous time in the morning for you, it has to be said. It is Um, 0630. And of course, the (laughs) O stands for, oh my God, it's early. Yeah, in order to be able to kind of preface this conversation on Twin Peaks with a ton of movie chat because we. Like, yeah, we've been away for a couple of weeks, like Bill was saying, due to just difficult schedules. And we're, we're very much aware that we're so close to the end and we kind of just want to get through this now uh, before the fucking Blu-ray comes out. Uh, <laughs> so, right. yeah, but we've watched so much stuff. And the thing is, we've watched so much of the same stuff now that, you know, conversation's going to go that way. So, Bo, I have I have set us up. Uh, yes. Go for it. So, Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> no, uh... uh... <laughs> <laughs> um okay okay so, Chakotay is a night of the comet so there you go That's oh yeah okay there you uh, go. so <laughs> all right let, let's talk about a couple of movies real quick uh as we want to do usually it's just like a good and bad kind of thing but i want to run through some titles that we both seen yeah uh one one of which you've mentioned already which was the documentary spookers yeah yeah and I saw that, and uh, you know, you and I had kind of chatted about this offline. But um, I thought it was good. I wish it had sacrificed a little of its dreamy, you know, like those moments where it's just like, "Hey, they're all in bed together," and yeah, and it, like to get a little deeper into the lives of these people, uh, because you get the overall impression of kind of what their situation is. But I wish it were a little more detailed. Like, I wanted to know more about these people. And and I also don't think it did maybe the best job of showing how they all come together because it focused so much on the individuals. Yeah, I think at times, like, going back and thinking over it, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think it is flawed in, in part, and in, in, well, in parts, in several parts. But I, I don't know, at, at the end of it, it was one of those things where I just, I don't know, I I, I, I felt good <laughs> you yeah, know, when it finished. No, I, and it does, there is a bit of fluff about it, you know what I mean? It is a fluff piece, essentially. Um, it's, it's deliberately, I don't think it's necessarily telling, there's, a, there's not a great balance in the documentary of, like you say, really kind of cutting beneath some of the superficiality of why people are doing what they're doing. Uh, and you're really invest you're investigating why it's so important that they all come together and do the things that they do. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, from that point of view, I do know that it, you know, it wasn't made on the biggest budget. Um, and I don't know if yeah, it's one of these things with documentaries is that what's the documentary setting out to do? What's you know what what is the question? It's almost uh, propositioning 
at the start to an- to answer. I don't necessarily know if the filmmakers themselves had like a clear through line or if this is one of these things where it's, oh, well, this is a cool idea that maybe we start doing this and then it organically moves in a direction where it doesn't necessarily set up the opportunity to go really down a more investigatory stance on some of those those things. I, I didn't think it was an amazing one. It, it certainly was one of those ones where it was like that. It's, it was a cool, like, something different. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. Like, it's not a down note for me other than I, I wish it was so close to a documentary that I would have put in the pantheon of great documentaries if it had just been a little more clear, like you said, with it, its its through line and also just explore the lives of these people a bit more. Like like the woman who um, it talks about, like, I, you know, I, I tried to commit suicide a couple of years ago. <laughs> and... Not that I need the details of that, but like, well, let's go back in her past a bit more. Yeah. Like, what, what, what is it that's le- like? What was the place of despair? Um, and she talks about a couple of things, but like, I just wanted to know more. Like, the people were fascinating enough that I want to hear more from them about themselves. It's like that thing that we we talked about many many years ago when we first started doing uh, Duncan and Bo. We talked about uh, was it the the Dammer Files, yeah, yeah and I yeah. always remember you're like one of, one of my favorite kind of bo, early bow quotes on that one is like when the the, the the cop guy sitting there going yeah, um, you know, and then you know start investigating, you become a bit of a you know a rock star and all the rest, and then all the hookers come along, and then I got divorced, and you were like whoa 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 whoa, let's stop up here. What happened? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> That's just, the documentary. <laughs> just jumps like he just takes twenty years. And condenses it in a sentence and then moves on to talking about it and being like a 50 year old sitting alone uh, drinking whiskey, turning 50 drinking whiskey in a, a room with just a phone and a TV. <laughs> it's like, what, what the fuck happened, dude? Tell yeah. us the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, maybe we can refer to this as the Dahmer File Syndrome. <laughs> Dahmer Files. <laughs> where it, it, the documentarians miss the lead. Yeah, they, they um, don't, they, they, hear, they hear the point, they don't. They don't grab the story and ask the follow-up question. Yeah. Oh, all right. And so, uh, so Spookers, if, if you haven't seen it, folks, uh, worth a look, but, but a bit flawed. Um, then uh, n- let's talk a little bit about Cult of Chucky. Uh-huh. Um, this is all kind of prep for, like, end-of-the-year list in my mind. Yeah. Oh, like, all right, let's, let's see where we are. Um, Cult of Chucky, I thought, was... Fun, but nowhere near as good as Curse of Chucky. Yeah, Curse. I think Curse of Chucky to me reset a lot of the the tone for the series. So for me, um, Curse of Chucky was vicious. Like compared to some of those previous ones, and like uh, people know that my my hatred for Seed is is legendary, <laughs> and I, I don't particularly like Bride of Chucky either. I think it's I think it's when the wheels started to come off. Um Curse to me just reset a lot. I love the idea of it being set in the, you know, this kind of gothic sort of house setting. Um I love the introduction of the Fiona Dourif character, uh, Nika. Um and I, I just like the way that that was all set out. And I love the the fact that it was almost set up as a this is a reboot or a remake, so to speak, and then you realise the, you know, it's the circle of life boat all, all looks back in. I think when we came to Cult of Chucky, I think the, I think Don Mancini 
just kind of went. But I think he wants to. I think he enjoys making it more fun. I think that's his niche. I think that's why the series went the way it did. And I think that's why he's bringing it back the way it did. Um, some of the deaths were pretty fucking cool. Uh, sure. Chucky's dialogue is a minimum, which um, kind of annoyed me a little bit because he, I kind of like, I, when it comes to the one one line wisecracking characters in, you know, franchise horror cinema, I'm all right with Chucky, like you know. Like. Yeah, well, because he—it's never like it—it's never totally the Freddy pun kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's more the fact that there is a an actual grown ass man serial killer Stuck trapped in, in this stuff. Like in in Curse of Chucky, there's a really funny bit with a woman who thinks she's a ghost because mm-hmm. it's kind of set in a, a mental institution. Yeah, and Chucky is just like kind of flummoxed by her but also is like well i can use her for my own needs Mm -hmm. but also like there's a point where she's just going on about how she's dead yeah and he's like you know what i'll be back for you in a minute and then it like keeps trucking to do his thing but you know in the back of his head is like i'm gonna i need to get back there and fucking kill her yeah um it's very funny yeah I, i love those bits um i thought jennifer tilly was used spot on there was not too much tilly um and yeah. in, in the movie which i think in the past as much as i love her i think chucky's supposed to be the star of the show and i think when it came to braid and particularly seed chucky's role becomes less prominent for all these new characters that we have and i think that's when you you start to you start to lose my interest you, t- you start to lose my hook my investment in the in the franchise. So I thought that was used brilliant. I will say, and this is a spoiler, um, the reveal at the end of how, uh, you know, um, Chucky ends up assuming a new body. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Yeah, um, I thought and, that was very cool. And the, the, the performance of the actor right at the very end um, was spot on. I mean, I was like, yeah, give me another movie where I'm just following that character now. I will happily fucking watch that. Um, so from that point of view, I really like that. I, I will agree with you. Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's not as good as, it's not as good as Curse. Um, but then I thought Curse was, I think Curse might be my third favourite overall in the franchise. I certainly think it's better than the third one. Um and you you know what my opinions are on the rest, so it, it ranks quite high. Um, I think Cult is up there as well. I, th- I I would say Cult's probably on par with the third one for me. Um, but yeah, it was it, it, that movie could have been a steaming pile of shit? And the fact that they are, and you know what? That I think there's there's a testament to Don Mancini of just running with a franchise. You see how many of these franchises are trying to reboot themselves and it's just failing after one movie. And he's like that. No, the way you do it is you just keep the story going. It doesn't matter if it's been 10 years, just keep the story going. You, you don't need to reboot Friday the 13th. Just keep the fucking story going. Yeah. And that's what Jason X taught us. You, you know, you can you can overlook Jason goes to hell if you want uh, and just jump back to this is the formula this is how you make the movie let's continue on because people only want to see the character killing they don't really want to go back to the beginning they just they want that familiarity that they have from 
just seeing the character that they grew up watching continue to do the same things. And Don Mancini is on the button with that one because he knows that's exactly what they want to see and that's exactly what you get. Yeah, I, I'm at the point now where when it comes to my horror movies that feature like a, a crazy killer at the center of it, mm-hmm. uh, I want to start the movie with he or she already murdering people. I don't want a backstory. Yeah. I want to know the origin of that serial killer in a flashback of no more than three and a half seconds. Uh-huh. And then let's get on with the, the show. In fact, all movies should begin with act two from now on. Uh, yeah. You want to know what you do. It starts with act two. And in the credits, you get a lot of newspaper clippings that say serial killer on the loose serial killer, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And then you jump right in there. That's your, that's your backstory. We don't need to yeah. more than that. All, all movies should do that from now on. <laughs> Just a quick, like, crawl at the beginning of the movie that's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. There's this girl named Sheila. She's being stalked by this guy, Todd. Todd's crazy. Now on with the movie. And mm-hmm. then just start there. I uh, I think we've really cracked the code on cinema. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, movies that are shit, um, hey, I saw Alien Covenant. <laughs> uh, I didn't think I, it was shit. All so. right. I, uh, yeah, I, here's the thing. Ridley Scott is a wonderful technical director and has a great eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the fuck is happening in this movie. <laughs> um, like, it's just such a hodgepodge of ideas that result in me not giving a shit about anything. Um, so I don't care about Prometheus because I thought that was just a bad movie. And I really is, like Prometheus. So yeah, I, I, yeah. See, I don't care for that movie at all. And so this is very much an extension of that, uh, which is all about the character of David from Prometheus, who is obsessed with the idea of creation. Uh, you know, and and which is set up by the idea of him talking to uh Wayland. Uh, as played by Guy Pearce in inexplicably bad old man makeup. <laughs> um, <laughs> saying, like, you know, so, you, you know, you Michael Fassbender is David is saying, you created me, who created you? And and Wayland, uh, a.k.a. Guy Pearce in inexplicably bad old man makeup, says, well, that's the big question. And, and so that's what David becomes obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so it it is I love the idea of a movie about exploring space to find our origins. I think that's a great idea. I don't like any of the execution of that in either Prometheus or uh Alien Covenant. Um also the crew of the Covenant who are the characters that we're rooting for. Um don't care about any of them. They all seem like very paper thin characters. Uh, also, um, Danny McBride, who is a guy I find incredibly funny, uh, is in this movie as not Tom Skerritt (laughs) and is asked at one point in the film (laughs) to have an emotional response to a personal loss. Mm -hmm. And this is not Danny McBride's wheelhouse. It's not his forte. No. And it is passable the way that most transgender people are around 2 a.m. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is almost right, but eh, there's something. And I don't know if that's offensive or not. If it is, I'm sorry. Uh, but I think, I think the casting is off. 
I think the uh, what's her name like is it Catherine Waterston who plays uh, the lead the Ripley stand yeah. in yep. in this film. Um, she's fine, but I don't think she has that much to do. Uh, it, it what it, as I was watching, I was like, you know, th- this film is trying to capture the sense of the first film of the crew of the first film who are, you know, the space truckers. In this case, these are just uh, pilots who are, uh, maintaining a colony ship as it goes out to, you know, find habitable planets out in the reaches of space. And, it should feel more industrial than it does. Like it has all the aesthetics of that, but the thing that this one misses that the first one gets right is everybody bitching about their job. Mm-hmm. Like everybody on this is enthusiastic. Like we're going out, we're going to start this colony and it's like, yeah, I get that. I mean, that's a, a noble premise and all, um, but it doesn't reveal anything about the characters other than their, you know, kind of these optimistic explorer types. Whereas in the first film, when you see Yafit Koto and uh, Harry Dean Stanton, White Lodge's own Harry Dean Stanton, yeah. um, complaining about their bonuses and stuff. It's like, I know who these characters are and the way that they're interacting with one another. I understand that Harry Dean Stanton is kind of the quiet sidekick. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this situation Yafikado is the alpha male and blah 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 like I understand all that stuff I don't get any of that out of the characters in Covenant uh, yes but I think that, <laughs> I think that's an unfair comparison though I think that the difference being that um, Yafit Koto and that lot are not on an exploration mission they're basically workers whilst the others are scientists who are you know trying to you know build colonies and like so i think there's a a, a kind of predisposition and attitude which is different um uh, well i i think what i'm getting at maybe i'm maybe it's it is that is an unfair comparison i'm saying that there is there isn't a sense among these characters from covenant of anyone being dissatisfied other than with the situation yeah. at hand like it, it I don't need them to be dark characters. I don't need them to be carbon copies of the original. I just want to feel like, oh, these are real lived-in characters yeah. who have their own agendas I think, and I all think that. The, and I don't, I don't get any of that. Yeah, I think the biggest criticism against the characters is there's no sense of wonder for scientists. Like, at, like at no point when they even when they land on the planet, do I feel that you know the gravity of them finding a you know inhabitable humanoid planet at all. It just seems to be passed over pretty quick. Um, I yeah, there. I enjoyed it for the dumb sci-fi movie it is. Yeah, on that level, it's it's kind of fine because there's enough moments of the alien, like it does turn into a pure slasher movie, up to and including people getting murdered in a shower while they're fucking in uh, this movie. Yeah, spoilers. I, <laughs> there's um. Like if you if you know the story, Prometheus was not supposed to be an alien movie. Ridley Scott kinda got twisted into making it an alien movie, and that's why it doesn't feel like an alien movie. Um I think Ridley Scott's big mistake is then wanting to continue that story as an alien movie. I think what you know, what would have been far more satisfying for me, and I know he would probably have been 
uh, would be all manner of accusations flung against him for just trying to copy the previous movie that he did. But clearly, that's what there's a reason that first yeah, movie does that anyway. Yeah, there's at a, the end of this movie. Yeah, there's a reason that movie is called Prometheus. You know, what I mean, and like, as and there's a reason this one's called Covenant as well. It's like he had this really good idea about setting this story about people trying to find their origin amongst the stars, and I think that. Is a really interesting sci-fi premise, and you know it reeks of things like two thousand and one, a space odyssey. You know, as as and I can live with that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the to me the, the the best thing about both those movies is Michael Fassbender, but that's a given because Michael Fassbender's pretty much the best thing in any movie that he's in. He's he's a very very interesting character, and I love how twisted they've made the character but the internal logic within him is that he's doing the right thing all the way through it you know what i mean it's, he's a he's a machine and that's what he's programmed to do and this is what he's going to do and um the twist is pretty dumb like you can see the twist in covenant you can see the twist coming a mile off um that being said wait 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 what was the twist i never felt like anything was hidden yeah well it's, it, it, it tries to it tries to feebly hypothesize that um the david that we know at the start isn't the david that ends up at the end oh yeah all right fine yeah, yeah that's not a very good one because right but again i never saw that as a twist because it was like well this it's obvious right yeah <laughs> it's, it, this is clearly not the guy yeah they're like, but they're, they try they tried to put that out um but but like they they cheated so much of like the ominous shots of him and shit it's like well what are you hiding here? Yeah, there's there's so much there's so much about the movie that is frustrating, um, and so much that doesn't make it a good alien movie. However, as sci-fi popcorn movies go, um, it, it's dumb, it's violent. Um, some of the practical effects are really really good. I didn't think the digital effects were nearly as bad as a lot of people said they were. Um, it's just once again you're comparing it to a franchise that was was born on the back of fucking incredible practical effects. That day is gone. This is 2017. See when people start moaning about the use of digital effects in 2017, it just makes my eyes roll because the heyday of practical effects is long since gone now. And this is just the way things are done now. You either get on board with it or just don't go to the fucking cinema. You know what I mean? Right. Well, but I I think there is there are moments in Alien Covenant that just feel fakey oh yeah but and then- and and that's upsetting because it takes you out of the movie and i'm not saying that everybody should be using practical effects from now on yeah i'm saying if you if, if the digital shot doesn't look right don't fucking use it let me put it this way i didn't see the same and this is where i, I think alien covenant gets a slightly bad rap for that i did not see the same accusations flung against life and the cgi in life is worse for their yeah. oh yeah i mean i think that's but- a bad movie too I actually quite like that movie. <laughs> We're starting to find a pattern in here. Um, I loved how just nihilistic that fucking movie was. That movie takes right. delight in just booting you in the balls from the start it, to the end. Yes, but in such a dumb, like in such a dumb, obvious way. But isn't that and what the movie's going for? Being dumb and obvious. I yeah, mean, it nails that. I think. It, I think it's going for that. I think it's like to me, it's it's going for the kind of. It's playing into that familiar territory that we existed in with kind of 90s sci-fi horror movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a throwback to it. But my other big problem with that movie is I think the alien in the movie looks stupid. Oh, it's stupid looking. It's a blob. 
<laughs> yes. it's like, and, but but it kind of flops around like a star. I just don't like it. And <laughs> and so for so so for you know up until it gets kind of big and menacing, I just think it, it looks really terrible. It looks like flubber. Yeah, it does look like <laughs> flubber. And and so for a solid you know fifty five percent of the movie, I'm like, oh god! Every time I see this thing, it makes me unhappy. <laughs> Yeah, I just I, what, what, it is the most unappealing. Like, like I know it's a monster, but Godzilla is a monster too, and I could stare at that guy all day long. Yeah, I think it's and often do. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I, like I say, I, is it a great alien movie? No, no. I, I think it would rank somewhere, maybe towards the bottom for me. Sure. Yeah, I, but, I, but, but but it's not a great alien movie, and it's not a great like sci-fi exploration. No, it's just movie. a dumb movie. It should, it, yeah, it's just a mess. Yeah, it's a dumb movie. But to me, once again, I, see, I, I'm I don't know. I think sometimes I give not films the benefit of the doubt to an extent, but I don't get hung up too much on a movie in terms of the context of its legacy. I just go on my emotional feeling. That's why on my show it's purely like kind of emotionally driven at the end when it comes to the scores. Because if I was to critically dissect movies, I'd, there's a lot that would, you know, pinpoint so many things that I don't like. And I just go on a feeling. And at the end of the movie, I was like, that. well, it entertained me for two hours. It, was, it wasn't very good, but it entertained me. And having read the reviews, all I read up until that point, and maybe that's what tempered me. Maybe I'd like rated it slightly higher because I went in with such a low opinion of what I was going to watch, and I don't think it was nearly. People were talking about this is you know this is the worst movie of the year. You know this is like like you know, another calculated misstep by Ridley Scott proving that he's, he's you know determined to shit all over the legacy of this franchise. <laughs> and I watched it. I was like that. And maybe you want to look at it that way. I just thought it was a dumb sci-fi like horror movie. And yeah. it was. Like you said, by the end of that movie, I felt like I was watching a slasher movie where the aliens were inconsequential in the background. And it was about this psychotic cyborg going around murdering people. Give me that movie. <laughs> you know, I will, I yeah. will. And that's that's the frustrating thing is that they've said, you know, obviously they have the, the Blu-ray release contains this half an hour of this uh, the Nomi Rapace character and a Fassbender on their journey to that planet. Um <sighs> Which yeah, yeah, which you know, which which was cut out, and you know that was originally. I think the concept of the movie was you know leading up to the landing on the planet or something like that. So that, that whole stuff was taken out, and I'm like you, like people were moaning that that stuff was taken out, and I was like that, yeah, but maybe if I want to watch a dry movie about like a an android, like if I want to watch Moon, I'll watch Moon. You know what I mean? Right. I don't right. want to watch Moon. I want to watch a movie where a psychotic android goes around trying to infect people with alien disease and then reap the benefits of his creation of his alien army. That's what I want. So yeah, if if that's you know if that's what you want to give me, well, you know, I'm quite glad that he pulled that. It's an interesting special feature, um, but but not for the cinema. Um, so yeah, I didn't think yeah, it, unless I, you're doing a different kind of movie, which which is. Again, my problem with Covenant is it wants to be two, maybe three different yeah. movies, yeah, that's, and it can't make them work together. Yeah, like, to me, it get, the the end result for me is the excitement that comes from the end of that movie, not necessarily the journey to get to the end of that movie. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I yeah, I there there is part of me that thinks 
you could do a an almost aliens style sequel to that movie that I would want to watch. You could you could do an aliens style um I think what what you do, I think what you do is that you here's here's how Duncan would have done this movie, right? You don't land on a fucking planet, right? You have Covenant come across you know their their ship from the previous movie and and David's the only one that's left alive. David comes on the ship and then you get Halloween. All right. Uh let me give you a, an alternate film. Mm-hmm. And and the movie I kind of hope we get next because now I'm down. <laughs> is that you have the the covenant with its, you know, uh uh all its passengers who are in cryo sleep or whatever. And you have a couple of face huggers get loose. Mm-hmm. And so you can have scenes where like the crew is pouring through all the passenger holding areas, looking for holes, mm-hmm. looking for where these things are breeding and, uh, and, and just having this entire ship start to be slowly infested. Like what happened on LV four, two, six. Yeah. Like, before the Marines got there, that could mm-hmm. be the movie on the covenant. Yeah. I think that would be rad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Ridley Scott, if you're listening, I don't think he's going to get his movie, but if you are listening and by some weird stroke of luck, the movie well performed in China, uh, <laughs> like, then right. yeah, that's that's what your next movie should be. Uh, Give me a call. Give me a call. I got some yeah, but both um, sure. Anything else that you want to, because I've got a couple. Yeah. Okay. So Creep 2. I love Creep 2. I think Creep 2 is, this is where you tell me you didn't like it, but I genuinely think Creep 2 could be top five consideration for me. I thought it was fucking great. (laughs) I actually loved it. I I felt Mark Duplass is, I'm actually starting to think that, well, I know the Duplass brothers are very, very talented, but I'm actually starting to think that Mark Duplass might be a genius. Like yeah, I think that might be the case. Yeah, I, th- I think he genuinely his performance is so weird and so creepy and so vulnerable and so playful. And I like about halfway through that movie, I realized that the movie wasn't gonna just be a remake of Creep, and that really excited me. Like really excited me. And then the way that movie takes a turn, and then I once again I thought I knew where it was going. I was like, all oh, right, we're setting up this idea of where you know the potential setup of a new character to carry the franchise forward right that's quite interesting it is a trilogy i know that much um that's pretty cool and then when that didn't go the way it did and then the end of that movie i was just like fucking just like yeah but i actually thought it was like like as as found footage sequels go i think that might be the best so it yeah it's it's real good uh i i man i want to see the third one yeah so i i i feel like i can place this film it, like here's the thing about this movie is that because it's constantly on its toes mm-hmm. uh there are times and, and when i got to the end of the movie i was like man there is so much possibility oh yes to that ending that i almost don't quite know what to make of it i don't know where they'll take it and that's what's kind of right. that's what's kind of exciting me though because at the end of the first movie when they announced that they were you know this was going to be part of a trilogy and they were doing the second movie i kind of knew where the second movie was going 
And yeah, I didn't know exactly where it was going when I sat and watched the second movie, but I had a really good idea that, you know, we'd be either jumping back to a previous set of killings or we'd be following them on into a new set of killings where, you know, we set things up in a similar fashion. At the end of that movie, though, that second movie, I was like, yeah, we can, we, we have a lot of space here to go anywhere. And the, the team behind that movie, they clearly, clearly know what they're doing. I love the casting in it. I love the playfulness of it. I love the fact that we have, you know, we have uh, Martin Duplass just not being able to get the reaction he wants from this this girl at all until very near the end. So he's constantly trying to fuck with her and she's just not playing into it at all. She's like, oh yeah, you're weird. Oh, you're creepy. That's brilliant. Yeah, whatever. Oh, you're trying to do jump scares. And the fact that she turns that on him, love that. Um, just a lot of the setup I really, really liked. Uh, there's some CGI blood in it, which I think is unfortunate because there's so little of it. I think you, you once again, complaining about practical and CGI. When there's so little of that in a movie, you can do it practical. Or just don't have blood splatter on the camera. I don't know what that really serves at all. I, th- I actually hate that effect in general in movies. Um, but, yeah, I thought the, what the plus to me is that he was the best thing in Creep. Uh, like with your limited cast, I thought it was a powerhouse performance. I thought once again, powerhouse performance. The guy just is able to emote and convey so much to the point that it's almost disorientating as a viewer to know. You feel yourself getting apprehensive about things that will never happen. And I think that's genius. That like to the level of if they if they land this third one we could be talking about one of, and this is where I get shouted at, but we could be talking about one of the best trilogies in horror history. I genuinely think so. I think if they nail the third one, I think you have a very strong opening. I think you have this really interesting journey in the second one. Stick the fucking landing in the third one and let's all celebrate with a beer. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you're you're totally off base about that. I it it's going it really is going to depend on this third one. And in in a weird way, my feelings about this one, Creep Two, are are going to be dependent on Creep Three as well. Yeah, like I I want I want to know I I want to know the whys of that ending a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of motivation is it just preservation or self preservation? Is there something else there? Yeah, is there a is there a new game? Has he seen something in her? The fact that she yeah. thought she had killed him, if you know what I mean. Once again, we're spoiling. Sorry, but watch the fucking movie; it's amazing. The fact that she just seems to have returned to normal life, um, albeit haunted as fuck. Um, you know what I mean? She's is he seen something in her? You know, is this like the escalation into a new game which carries over into the third movie? If it doesn't, you know, that's maybe a misstep. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. If it does, that opens a whole new fucking potential movie for me, which, yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It, it finished and I watched it as my, my Halloween movie this year and it finished and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, well done, guys. Because you could very easily just remade that first movie, which is the easy option to do, which is pretty much what every horror franchise does. And you made some choices in some directions. Like, I thought that you couldn't outdo the creepiness of Tubby Time 
And then Mark Duplass strips off in front of a camera, and I was like, this is awkward as fuck. It's so it's pretty great. So fucking awkward. So, so awkward. And yeah, I just thought you, you outdid it. That's how you do it. Full frontal male nudity is how you how you outdo tubby time. Well done. All right. Uh, so we both like Creep 2. One, one final one, and then and whatever you got. Yeah. Uh, 1922. Oh, loved it. I, man... Talk about your top fives. Yeah, I, this may hit it for me. I fucking love this movie. This is a powerhouse movie. This is the powerhouse of simplicity. You know what I mean? Like this to me is exactly what I. I so like, I, had I not known this was based on Stephen King, the first thing I would have said is this is the most Stephen King, Stephen King thing that's ever been Stephen Kinged. You know what I mean? It's just a classic Stephen King ghost story. You know, and, and the grandest traditions. Um, it plays very much. I mean, it's, it, you can see the the influence on Poe, you know, kind of telltale heart sort of situation playing out in it. Um, Thomas Jane is wonderful in it, even though he is not having to do much, if you know what I mean, Bo. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's not really having to do much in the movie, but... It's about a two-hour-long movie. Doesn't feel like a two-hour-long movie. Um, I love the premise. I love the setup. Um, I love the execution. It's very it's back to basics. Stripped back, um, and it was riveting. I like. I I was captivated from the start of the movie right to the very end. And and it, the director. I don't even know who this guy is. I don't know what he's done. I don't know what his horror pedigree is. At all, but give this guy more money. <laughs> Please get him to do something else. Uh, yeah. It was just, it was a, it caught me off, off guard because everyone had been so busy talking about Gerald's game um, that, you know, this was getting mentioned, but it wasn't getting mentioned much. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to overturn the, the, the apple cart here, but it's, uh, to me, it's better than Gerald's game. So, I I'm on I'm totally on board with that. I think it's I, I think Gerald's game is very very good. Yeah. Uh, I think this is you know it's just one like like you said simplicity itself is it, it's Halloween esque yeah. in it, its simplicity of here's Thomas Shane as an old timey farmer. We uh, gotta get out and tend them fields and just. He's the sort of guy that if it was around just now, he'd be saying they took her jobs. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Thomas Jane would have a hundred percent voted for Trump uh, in, in nineteen twenty. Thomas Jane's character so, would have a hundred percent voted. Let's 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 not throw this accusations. Well, at the, well, maybe you never know. His character, yes, um, <laughs> but yeah. So the the whole premise of the movie is that there is some land that his wife technically owns. Mm-hmm. And she wants to sell it off and move to the city. He believes that the land is what's important. Yeah. And it's 1922. Man is his land. Yeah. And it's his legacy. It's what he passes off to his kids. Exactly. It's the thing he can pass on to his child. So he decides that he is going to offer (laughs) with and and drag his kid into it, which is the horrifying part of it. Um, and and it turns out that after they do the deed, they are haunted as fuck. Yeah. And <laughs> as you would imagine, in 
1922 ghosts were everywhere. Um, <laughs> worthless. You can't send them for groceries or nothing. Um, so Thomas Shane is haunted as fuck in this movie, and that's it. That's the premise of the film. That's the but whole it movie. Goes, yeah. It goes such terrible places oh it's bleak as balls man honestly yeah. it, like that this is another movie that really revels and just kicking the nuts of the viewer just like attaching them to jump leads in a car battery um it's and it's just wonderful how it how it does it because from that it is almost like he he curses everyone involved with that family from that moment on because no one ends up well, and the fact that, you know, things like go the way they do and then you get the added sort of almost Willard-esque um, like offshoot story of him like basically being tracked down by the rats that have gnawed on his wife. It's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful watching him writing this in a hotel room while you hear the noise of rats trying to claw through the wall. It's, you know, just everything about... I loved it. I, I finished and I... I thought that Stephen King has a lot of stuff out there, like a lot of stuff out there. And I think sometimes people focus on the more extravagant stuff for adaptations at the detriment of how good some of his just, some of how good his short horror writing actually is. You know, some of these the kind of novellas, the shorter things are just, are, I, I think the same thing with Clive Barker. I think some of the best Barker adaptations are the ones that are based on novellas as opposed to the ones that are based on the huge fucking novels. Um, you know, his short his short stuff has given you things like Candyman and, um, you know, Hellraiser. Like, sometimes we don't need to, 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 even though I do love Lords of Illusion, we don't need the bigger stories sometimes to make the, you know, and the kind of transfer over. Um, I think Stephen King has a lot of stuff that could be mined without remaking, because we're getting Pet Cemetery. We're getting, you know, all this stuff is now going to get rechunned out. I dare say Salem's Lot will be on the list as well. All this stuff is going to happen off the back of it, and the fact that we've got Gerald's Game and uh, 1922 in the same month, both put out by Netflix, uh, to me shows that there's a whole hell of a lot of stuff there to mine and do that. Please do that. I, I, I yeah. It's not that I don't want to see a new Pet Cemetery. I'll watch it, and the fact that it's the Starry Eyes guys that are doing it is pretty cool. And I, you know, I'll watch that movie when it comes out. But 1922 works because it's just it knows it's such a confident movie. It's such a confident small movie that just felt incredible. And that movie, to me, the, the saddest part of it is I actually think I would have really liked to have seen that in the cinema. When I was watching it, I was like, this feels like a cinematic movie. It wouldn't have done well and you could put it on limited run, but I would love to have seen it. Yeah, I, I genuinely, it's, I don't think you can have a top five conversation without mentioning 1922 this year at all. Right, right. All right, I'm glad we're on board. Yeah. I, I like, I, I've watched it twice now. Mm-hmm. And the second time, just as good as the first, Duncan. It felt, <laughs> it, felt, it felt just as good. When you see that whipping tail in her mouth, it was like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, so 1922. So good, man. So good. Like this is You do it right. This is, how, this is the day and age that we are living in now, where uh, like Netflix, Netflix 
have put out two movies which, like, as horror movies go, are, you know, batting just as good, if not better, than a lot of the cinematic horror that's been out. So Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm of the mind that if you, if you are hearing our voices and don't have Netflix, pick up a free trial just to hit up uh, Gerald's Glam- Gerald's Game in 1922. Yeah, Because yeah. they're two of the best horror movies that got released this yeah. year. And that's what I'm saying. Netflix, <laughs> you know, what I mean, uh, this is this is the way we're gonna, like. I, I'm I'm super excited about this because this is this is how I, I think Netflix have got the great. Even though they're riddled with debt, this is, they've got the right idea. Pick pick a director that you really like or, or that you're confident in. Buy the rights to a story and then give the people the money they need to go and make it without all the interference that comes. I don't know how much Netflix Netflix interferes, but I dare say it's a whole hell of a lot less than your Sony's and your Warner Brothers and and stuff like that. I think you get a bit more artistic license and I think you get a better product uh, because of that. Yeah, I think uh, I was reading something uh, out of Adam Wingard, I believe, where he was talking about doing Death Note mm-hmm. and that sort of once Netflix signed off on the project, they had just left them alone which is great i think that's what yeah. I, I think that's what you need i think we need more directors that don't have i mean it, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword <laughs> and you can end up with, with movies that feel too um grandiose in a director's vision that just don't pay off but at the same time um trust your trust if you if you if you've if you've got mike flanagan on board Mike Flanagan can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> right. Mike, just fucking make us one of your movies. Yeah, literally, that's, that's all you need. Give the guy money, yeah. a fucking a pat in the back, a coconut smile. And that's the you know, that's that's how you do that. Speaking of Netflix, that's my, my two that I want to mention very quickly, uh, even though they're on a bigger scale. Uh, finished uh, Mindhunters. Uh, really liked that. Really, yeah, really fucking it's, liked that. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think... Um, I can't wait to see where they take it because I think the the first season is was doing so much grim work. It really was setting setting up the the direction of where I know I think um, David Fincher has basically said he has a five season arc and that is it. Um, and the five season arc, I believe, if if I'm a smart person, which I like to think I am, Bo, uh, I think it will probably finish with the capture of BTK, who's constantly shown in the flashback sequences in the first season. That's how you do that, because BTK was caught circa 2002, 2003. I think that makes an interesting loop um, for that. Um, So, yeah, so I think they're talking uh, second season starts taking you into kind of very late 70s, early 80s serial killers, um then third season, you know, 80s and the 90s, uh, four seasons, 90s, probably just the 90s, because uh, you're going to have Dammer and stuff like that, and then swing us into, uh, into you know, the kind of final run. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. Thought the acting was stellar. Um, thought that the, the portrayal is... Like, I'm a big serial killer buff. I read a lot about them. I've read a lot of the transcri- uh, transcripts. I have a, a small library downstairs of books into the psychopathology and the serial killers. And I think they nailed every killer spot on. In particular, like to me, the Emmy for for like most on the nose spot on portrayal of a serial killer goes to the guy that played Ed Kemper. Oh God, he's so good. He's perfect. He's, that's how Ed, yeah. Ed Kemper sounds and that's how he looked. They've got that fucking 100% 
on point. But Jerry Boudros is exactly like I've heard, you know, interviews read. And they're using the transcripts from the serial killers in the dialogue. So that, you know, whilst the, the guys that are in this are loosely portrayed on the real guys that did set up the the kind of the term serial killer, etc. Um the actual interviews that they're using weren't interviews with those characters in real life. They're interviews that came out at the time or after. Um, but the dialogue is spot on. So everything those guys say in that show actually were things that the serial killer said, which I think is, you know, you read people aghast by this. It's just that you have never read into it. These guys were fucking, like, terrifying. This is where horror comes from. This is real-life horror. But I just love the... the I love the soundtrack choice. I love the way it was shot. Um, I, I did have at times that kind of Fincher vibe off it, which I thought was pretty cool. Even though he's the first episode in particular feels very Fincher. yeah, and I think he did the first two in the final one, um, and then there was other directors kind of going through doing their stuff in the middle. Um, but yeah, I, 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 once again, Netflix. Uh, <laughs> While you have purchased your subscription, uh, or sorry, taken out your 30-day free subscription to watch Gerald's game uh, in 1922, watch Mindhunter. I, I, I genuinely thought it was a... I thought there was, you know, it's... To me, I think the second season will will tell all for it um, and see where we go. There, there, there was definitely some bits where I was like, ah, you can tighten that up a little bit. Or, you know, we're, we're maybe descending a little bit too much into the we're solving one crime a week sort of thing, which I don't really want them to get into the habit of doing. Uh, I quite like the the fact that they're using it in practical application, but I don't really want them going down that road too much. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought it was super, super strong uh, for a TV show I knew very little about before, you know, like a month out from it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can't wait for season two. So that's my first. Don't know if you've got anything to add. No, no, it's a really good show. People ought to watch it. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second thing, and this is the one that I'm quite interested about: Stranger Things season two. Now, I know we had slightly different opinions on season one, in that I didn't think it was a you know the greatest thing that has ever been made, but I really fucking liked it. And I know you were like, "Eh, it's all right." Um, yeah. Um, I've gotten about three episodes into season two. Uh, and I'm real lukewarm about this one as well. Really? Yeah. I like. I gave. I want to get deeper into it. I'll probably continue to watch it. You know, here and there. But I thought the second uh, season was like a, a monumental step over the first season. Really, really, really enjoyed it. There's something about that show that just it just hits. It connects with me as this weird kind of. Oh, it's not quite the Goonies. Not quite Erie, Indiana. Um, not quite goosebumps, you know. It's, it's, it's all these things that exist in the background that I think I love the the addition of what's his face, uh, dude from Aliens. A fuck the wee sleazy corporate guy from Aliens. Oh, Paul Reiser. Yeah, I loved yeah, yeah, his yeah. addition. Thought he was great in it. I I wish there were more Paul Reiser for there sure. There is towards uh, the end, so you'll get more okay. you get more of the more time with that character. I felt and you know, I don't want to go too much in it because you, you are going to watch the rest of it. I felt they held back on Eleven as a character a bit too much. Um I feel that she could have been played in a bit earlier, but I know why they did that when you see it, it, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, I, I like it finished and I was just, I love the fact that two of the what I'm going to call the losers club in this in this one, um, 
get more action. Uh, Dustin and uh, the, the the other guy whose name escapes me as well get more to say in this one, and I think that's that's uh, really good. I know like, like Finn Wolf, whatever his name is, um, has slightly less in this this series, which I think is pretty cool because I'm still in it mode where you know. He was this like fast talking, wisecracking little son of a bitch. So yeah, and like the, I think the the digital effects towards the end are are bitching. I know that it's been signed up for four seasons and then that's done. So it's got another two still to come. Um, but the guys behind that show are like that. Yeah, four season will be the final season. So they have a story arc. That's what I like. I like when seasons announce that, so we don't run too long in the tooth. But yeah, I thought it was great. I, I can't wait to see where they take that one as well. And I think that's next year. Uh, we'll get Stranger Things season season three. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And once again, another testament to how Netflix are, like a lot of people are concerned that, you know, Netflix are are, lo- are losing a flagship show um, and House of Cards <laughs> this, this year. You know, it's a big money earner for them, but I think there's plenty of new talent and new shows that are coming up through the pipeline that'll carry Netflix through, no problem. And I think Stranger Things is one of them. Yeah, I want to check out uh, the new Punisher series as well. Um, yeah, I, I probably will check that one out. Um, and I'm not invested in that stuff. I like we spoke about this before. I enjoyed Daredevil season one. Didn't really enjoy Daredevil season two. Didn't like Luke Cage at all. Really, I thought it was very boring um and i never watched iron fist or the defenders and i've never seen jessica is it jessica jones jessica jones is maybe the best of baz has told me that as well baz has told me to check it he's the one that keeps saying that's the one to watch and the punisher i've seen umpteen iterations now of the i think i've seen every punisher movie um and i didn't particularly get as rigid uh, in the pants area that everyone did when the Punisher came into Daredevil. I thought it was all right. I, you know, I, I wasn't like, yeah, I can't wait for the spinoff. Um, but then I, that's not, that show's not aimed at me. You know what I mean? That show's aimed at other people, people that will enjoy it a lot more. I will probably sit and watch it over Christmas. Uh, and if it's great, I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. If it's, not great, then I'll probably keep my opinions to myself on that one because uh, there's a lot of people already saying it's it's phenomenal on social media just now. But then I read a lot of people tell me Luke Cage was fucking amazing and I watched it and I still want to know what bit was amazing. Um, someone can point out where it was. Out with the soundtrack, which was bitching and the use of some method, man. Um, out with that, I, I found it tawdry and boring. Um, so there we go. Yeah, I like uh, if something's tawdry, it's rarely boring for me. <laughs> uh, I one thing I will say about Stranger Things season two, uh, my, my the prism through which I've been watching it, which is unfair to the show, but it's it goes to something you said, uh, which is I saw a season one of Stranger Things. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course we all saw it. And it was like, oh, yeah, it's like uh, them kids from Stranger Things. Uh, you know, in fact, even uh, one of them's right there. Yeah. Uh, and then so sh- I start watching Stranger Things season two. I'm like, hey, it's that kid from It that reminded me of Stranger Things. So now I'm watching Stranger Things again. Oh, hey, look, it's a girl character showing up. 
kind of like Beverly and it and uh, fuck, I feel I, I feel know. sorry for them. I feel <laughs> I do feel sorry for the Stranger Things guys because I think I know it was getting made about the same time as Stranger Things season one, but I can't help but feel that you know the stranger the the director of it maybe leaned into that a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe leaned into some of the oh that nostalgia for sure. Yeah, and I think and, that's... and that's the thing that wears me out about Stranger Things in general is all like the two lingering kind of shots of like, hey, remember this board game or remember this show? Yeah, and it's just like, uh, yeah, I do, and it wasn't good at the time. Like when they're like, hey, or. You know, let's go watch Manimal. I'm like, yeah, it sucked. No, no one should have ever watched it. <laughs> Don't make me relive my mistakes. Uh, right, right. Maybe, like the problem with nostalgia is being old enough to have lived through. Yeah, it. yeah. Because then it just was a time that kind of sucked. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah. There's there's a there's a selective nostalgia that we all have. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That's and, why it's not always great revisiting certain older movies because you never yeah, capture like, that first experience you had when you watched it uh to use a video game analogy uh not too terribly long ago a buddy of mine and i sat down and tried to play an old uh, ps1 game mm-hmm. called siphon filter oh yeah i remember siphon filler right you remember siphon filter was awesome when it came <laughs> out in the year of our lord 2017 duncan Siphon Filter looks and plays like utter hot garbage. <laughs> it is it is a childhood killer of a game. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's uh it, it like nostalgia can be poisonous mm-hmm. in that way. Um anyway. Uh hey, uh one other thing I want I want to talk to you about just cuz I want to hear you talk about mm-hmm. it. Uh you saw the lure. Yes. Which is a movie that I really kind of love. Yep, I think once again, I'm not trying to give away too much. I think when I come to do my top five, I think it might actually make the f- number five position. I really fucking loved that movie. I, I genuinely was floored. I can see why Criterion put it out. Let's put it that way. That's that's a smart move on them because I think people will be revisiting. I think that movie has cult written all over it. Yeah, it it's so unusual, but it, it it what what strikes me about the movie is how confident it oh, yeah. is. It knows what it is, it knows the aesthetic it's going for, and it just nails yeah, it. Yeah, really uh, phenomenally nails it. Um I thought I, I, I don't know what I expected from it because I've heard other people talk about it and I know that you talked about it in the past and I was excited when, like I say, when Criterion and Imster were putting it out in both the States and the UK. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this when it comes out. And then it lay there for about a month uh, and I was off my work hill and I was like, I'm going to watch some movies that I've, you know, that I've bought that I've never watched before. And I think that was the first one I put up um, to watch that day and you know, I peaked early that day because nothing came close to it. And I think that was probably, a lot of it is to do with the fact that it just, it's like the first time there's, let's try, try to word this. It's like the first time I watched, I remember I remember watching, um, I remember watching Kronos, right? The uh, Guillermo del Toro movie. 
remember watching Cronus when it came out and being thoroughly underwhelmed by it. I've have since come back to it and we, you know, enjoyed it more in subsequent watchings. And I remember watching The Devil's Backbone and the first time watching that, thinking that's an interesting ghost story. But once again, it wasn't. It didn't floor me. I have since went back to watch that one and loved it. And the reason that happened is the first time I watched Pan's Labyrinth, that movie fucking floored me. I was like, who, who's this guy? Wait, wait, wait. Right, th- right. Th- this is the mimic guy? No, fuck off. You know, like, what, watch Pan's Labyrinth. And it just, it was such a confident, visual, phenomenal piece of cinema that it kind of almost was a Rosetta Stone to Del Toro's back catalogue. Because when I watched back to watch, you know, when I went back to watch The Devil's Backbone, I was like, oh, this is fucking phenomenal. Well, this guy, like this guy, was doing this then, and look at the effects he's using. Then it's like just like, and then going back to Cronus and going, this is a really quirky, strange kind of take on vampirism. I really dig this now that I've. But it took me to watch Pan's Labyrinth to get Del Toro. The lure to me is on on some level that kind of Pan's Labyrinthian experience for me watching that movie where I was just like that. This this person has a fucking insane visual eye. Has, you know, has a, a great way of telling a fairy tale-esque story. Very kind of Grimm's fairy tale. Um, and the soundtrack is bitching. <laughs> like the soundtrack is really weird and bitching at the same time. And the fact that it's a musical as well. Just Yeah, I think it's worth noting, because we haven't really described it for the listeners other than to say the title, The Lure. It is a Polish killer mermaid. 80s, new romantic style punk musical. Yeah, new wave, neon lit killer mermaid musical from Poland. And it's fucking bitching <laughs> and, and it, like i'll tell you it's it's the uh the sequence like i when i first saw it i was into it from jump mm-hmm. i just thought it had a great look but it's that first musical like truly musical number um that caught me was the uh the older sister yeah the the kind of more worldwide one when she's doing her song walking through the house where they're kind of loafing with these, you know, carny folk yes, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's kind of frozen in place as she's walking around them singing. And the song is just like, everything is terrible. <laughs> and But it's like, you know, obviously a Polish and more new wave than that. But the, the theme of the song was just like, what a pretty little disaster this is going to be. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, yeah. oh, it's so fucking I lo- good. I Duncan. love that. I absolutely, like, uh, yeah, it may end up being higher than five. Honestly, if we talk about that again before my top five, <laughs> it, it might go higher than five. I, I just, yeah, I watched it. I was just like, this is what excites me, you know, about about horror is its flexibility to be, you can take it anywhere, you can put it in any setting and it just, it, it thrives. And in the great grand traditions of kind of horror musicals, I'm thinking about things like, you know, Phantom of the Paradise, Phantom of the Opera, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, and, and those great grand traditions of adding those elements in here, I think the lure will be, you know, in in 10 years time, people will be looking back on that with the same sort of reverence that they look back on something like Phantom of the Paradise, which took a long time to find its fucking audience. 
but now it has its audience and people love that movie. I think the lure will be the same way where people will, you know, like, like you'll be at horror quizzes 10 years from now and people will be like, right, the question is, what, you know, unusual niche Polish mermaid horror musical movie, you know, which came out in 2017. You know, what's the name of it? These sort of things. I just, it worked so well for me that, it's such a unique experience as well. And I think I, I enjoy movies that just... Gen- to me, movies that make me genuinely sit up and pay attention because I, I, I just don't know what's happening or I don't know where something's going um, are the ones that I end up spending the most time talking about because that's what excites me. And the lure is all of that. And it's not just because it's different, it's because it's so well done. And even if that movie, that movie ends and my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> I was like, did not fucking see this coming. But, it, you know, it was a, yeah. it's all, like you see, it's all spelled out in that song earlier on in the movie. It, it, it plants its flagpole in the ground. Of, you know, like, this is not going to end well. Uh, just very much like all the grim fairy tales are. They never end well. Be careful what you wish yeah. for because you might just get it, but... Yeah, I mean, in in traditional fairy tale fashion, a mermaid wants to have human legs, yeah. and that's fucking horrifying in this film. You know, the, yeah, so, the way they do is, yeah. Um, yeah, no, the lore is great. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, oh my god, yeah, it's um, really fucking good. Really it's, fucking, good. it's amazing. Um, all right, well, Duncan, we got that out of the way quickly. Yeah, was that was uh, that like an hour and a half? Yeah. I'm just about <laughs> um, so uh <laughs> all right hello this is the doom show keep on keeping on and keep on trucking america we don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any <laughs> the truth hurts i just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback sorry guys that's gotta go <laughs> that's gotta go in there so on the show uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard or Jeffrey or Simon. That's right. We have four people and we always talk at once except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. All right, folks, we are talking episode 13 of Twin Peaks, The Returnsies. And, Duncan, we open on the Lucky 7 Insurance Company Mm -hmm. uh, where the Mitchums, (laughs) uh, Dougie and the girls, are... Uh, marching into Bushnell's office to the sound of a Casio percussion machine thrown. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember this demo button from my very old keyboard. Yeah, so 
they're they're partying uh and uh tom sizemore uh sees what's happening here Mm -hmm. and so he calls mr todd who's our dude in vegas and uh and he tells him what's going on he's like uh dougie's alive and the mitchums are here with cake (laughs) and 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 so Todd tells him, "You have one day to remedy this situation." Yeah, I love how he's uh, like that. I thought I had two days, and he's like, "One day." <laughs> yep, yep. And meanwhile, uh, at uh, Casa de Dougie, a jungle gym <laughs> is being delivered. Yep. And so Janie E is just watching as this you know really pretty awesome jungle gem is being delivered i was jealous when i saw this i know like that would it's a great jungle gem anyway so uh she also sees that there's a bmw uh in the in the drive uh-huh and and is like there's a moment where I didn't know if she was upset about it, at w- what was going on, and then it turns out she is elated, Duncan. Over the moon. Over the moon. Uh, it's pretty like it, it's one of those moments of, of like, oh well, things are looking up for Dougie Jones finally. Uh, you know, all evidence uh, or all effort of his own to the contrary, because you know, as we know. Dougie Jones is a blank slate of a person, pretty much. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, like all good art, people impose their ideas onto. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he, I mean, he still got the Agent Cooper investigative skills. But let, let, let me let me let, <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you one thing: Did you think thirteen episodes into the new season of Twin Peaks, I mean, five episodes from the end, we would still not have Agent Cooper? No, I probably would have said like, oh, well, you know, halfway through the season, you know, that would be the expected turn. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, I mean, Lynch is committed to it. And honestly, if I'm getting shit like this, I'm fine with it. Um, I was about to say, actually, whilst it annoys me at the same time, I I don't dislike the Dougie story arc at all. You know what I mean? I'm I'm, kind of cool with it. So whilst I feel, yeah, we're missing out on all this great, you know, potential Agent Cooper stuff that we could be happen- that could be happening right now. At the same time, I'm like, right, we live in this world where, you know, maybe one of them's restrained and we're getting all this really cool, well, we'll get onto it later on, and we will get onto it later on, all our uh, Doppelcooper stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of keeps floating me that we are so close to the end now and we don't have the agent keeper we know and love we haven't seen him at all once even when he was in the red room at the beginning we didn't you know he wasn't agent cooper so it's it's so weird to think that and once again this is a testament to the the fucking balls on lynch he's just like he's like this is what i'm doing and you will just go along with it (laughs) you will watch it um and i kind of know why i love it i kind of know why like when I read like some of the earlier, you know, by episode three or four, I had read a lot of people that I knew had bailed. You know, they just couldn't get down with where the show was going, the Dougie stuff and all the rest. And I feel sorry for them because I think the show is 
is almost benefited by it. It's such a weird thing. Uh, but yeah, the, to see uh, Janie E's oh, so happy, which we've only seen a couple of times here, um, is, is something pretty... I love Naomi Watts. We spoke about this before. Uh, I think she's been great in this show. And to see things kind of finally turn for, for her, which has only happened since, you know... Uh, Dougie has been uh, taken over by Agent Cooper in some respects, or embodied by some of the Agent Cooperness. To see how things are finally on the upswing for that family is pretty great to watch. Well, speaking of things that are great to watch, Duncan, mm-hmm. Doppel Cooper <laughs> rolls up into a garage, mm-hmm. which turns out to be Ray's hideout. Ray, it's as you may remember, uh, yeah, Ray, as you may remember, is the guy who shot Doppel Cooper. Yep. And fucked off when all the lumber ghosts showed up. And so Doppel Cooper has come come a calling for Ray. And uh Ray initially says, I'm gonna kill him again. Mm-hmm. And so Doppel Cooper steps out. Uh this is a real gang kind of lair. So yeah. there's a bunch of dudes around. The, the gang headed up by none other than Jason Voorhees. Yeah, uh, uh, Derek Mears is <laughs> okay. uh, Renzo. This is why I kind of think this episode might be one of the best in the whole season, it's, by the way. <laughs> okay. There is some fucking great shit ahead of us. And it's <laughs> it begins now. Um, so this gang, as Muddy explains it, mm-hmm. is based on an arm wrestling based economy. <laughs> So Doppel Cooper rolls in and is like, I want Ray. Mm-hmm. And there Derek Mears, aka Renzo, is like, no, nah, no, nah, man, this is how it works. I'm not giving him up. But if you beat me at arm wrestling, you're the de facto leader of the gang now. Mm-hmm. So Double coops like that, though, I don't want to be your leader. <laughs> just right. love it. just yeah, like it's that. just like, I don't give a shit about this. I just want Ray. <laughs> and so they're like, no, we, you know, we are a gang based on the teachings of the film over the top. <laughs> <laughs> so arm wrestling must commence. And so they do. So uh, Doppel Cooper is now going to arm wrestle Renzo, a.k.a. Jason Voorhees, a.k.a. Derek Mears. And one of the greatest scenes in TV history. Yeah. So Derek Mears, no small guy, uh, mm-hmm. as you would imagine, in uh, is, is squared off against Doppel Cooper. And he is putting his heart and soul into it. And Doppel Cooper kind of lets his arm drop for a second. And he just seems mildly curious about the goings on. Mm-hmm. He is not straining even a little bit because he's Doppel Cooper and Chuck full of Black Lodge magic. Yep. And so he just starts like swinging his uh, his arm back the other way. Oh, uh, it's so fucking good because he, he, he basically, you know, it, it hurts my arm when it is down here, but it is so much better when my arm is up here. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> totally uh, fucking with this guy. Totally fucking with him. And restarting sweat. Right. And because everybody sees that Doppel Cooper now is clearly something else. Mm-hmm. And and so he ends up winning the match, obviously. And then, for good measure, just punches a hole right in Renzo's face. Yeah, he pretty much snaps his arm and then crushes the front of his face with one punch ball. Yeah, yeah. 
and a hush silence comes over the room. Um, right, but <laughs> Doppelcooper has now become the unwilling leader of this group of knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you want, glorious arm wrestling leader? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I just want Ray and give me some cell phones. And so then a dude in a sweater vest shows up yeah. and asks if Doppelcooper needs money. Uh, and Doppelcooper is like, nope. And sweater vest fucked off. And <laughs> I don't know what the point of that was. But Doppelcooper is, uh, wants to know who hired Ray to kill him. Surprising and, answer as well. Oh, Duncan. Mm-hmm. So Ray says the guy who hired Ray to kill Doppelcooper called himself Philip Jeffries is how he put it. Yep. And that Jeffries says that there was something inside Doppelcooper that they want. Mm-hmm. And, and then Doppelcooper asks if, uh, if he ever mentioned Major Garland Briggs. Yes. And Ray says no. And guess what? Ray has the fucking ring. Yeah, Ray, I, how did Ray get the ring? See know. that? Yeah, right. I don't. I have no idea because the last time we saw it, it was in Black Lodge, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but th- he had been. So this is how I understand it, right? Um, basically, we know already that if you die whilst wearing the ring, you end up in the Black Lodge, right? It takes you to the Black Lodge. Um, so Jeffrey's orders it, or someone pretending to be Jeffries, orders the hit on Doppelkooper. Gives Ray the ring to put get, on Doppelkooper. Which is what he said he was supposed to put on him when he killed him, which would return him to the lodge. And of course, that ain't happening now. Um, and, you know, at, what also kind of weird is at this point, um, Richard Horn appears. Right. Hey, Dirtbeck Richard shows up to watch the fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Doppelcooper tells Ray to put the ring on. Yeah. And and at that point, Ray says, I know who you are. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah. And so Doppelcooper says, well, where's Jeffries? And Ray says he's at a place called the Dutchman's that's not a real place. And, <laughs> and of course, Doppelcooper says, you know, no, I know where it is. Yeah, I I got this. And to put a an exclamation point on that, yeah, uh, he just shoots uh, Ray right in the fucking head. <laughs> yeah, and then Ray disappears, Percy, and the ring appears back in the lodge. And we can only assume Mike um, lifts the ring and puts it back on the table where we last saw it. Um, and fire what with me? That's so, right. So. We're- so- Come full circle again. Yeah, it's it's oh man, it's fucking awesome. That's what I, I love this shit. I love this shit so much. All right, so uh, at the <laughs> at the Las Vegas Police Department, Duncan, mm-hmm. there's a real kerfuffle um, <laughs> uh, outside the uh, the windows. But the de- the de- de- uh, the detectives mm-hmm. see this is what happens when I start drinking at seven a.m. Um, <laughs> The detectives have put together that Dougie's prints match Doppelcooper, or the the, the escaped FBI agent is what mm-hmm. they know. 
And uh, yeah, so they they escaped. Yeah, <laughs> and they're, like, they're like someone fucked up. <laughs> it's yeah. like some, some bullshit prints here, uh, which yeah, uh, they dismiss it completely as like some sort of weird like administrative error. Yes, so to speak. So I kind of thought what I was hoping for, Bo, and which obviously didn't happen, was that this would ping the you know Gordon Cole's lot that oh someone searched it. Listen, this is where we need to go. We will get there though, but just not the way that I thought we were getting there. Yeah, and so here's a weird tie to another storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show, uh, John Savage. Yes. Shows up as a detective, a, a crooked detective. Um, and Sizemore is showing up to ask uh, John Savage for poison. Yeah. And uh, like something undetectable or whatever. And uh, so Savage is going to charge him a bunch of money to get said poison. 5000 I think it, he says. Yeah, right. And and Tom Sizemore is just a big dummy here. He like he he's trapped in a situation of his own making and he thinks the only way out is to kill uh Dougie. Fergie. And <laughs> Dougie, have you been poisoned? <laughs> uh so and he, and and so Savage tells Tom Sizemore to meet Do you think that's later. how his character dies if he was a character in Mortal Kombat? Therpality. <laughs> <laughs> A dirt pallet. Flawless victory. The dirt pallet. is him taking a swig of coffee and then going, Hi! <laughs> and, and it blows fire at the opponent. <laughs> or I'm desperate for a pee and then finally releasing it oh, right in someone's yeah. face, drowning them. Yeah, that's, that's the alternate. Yeah. That's if you hit... <laughs> Upper left kick combo. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dougie Jones wins. <laughs> oh, make that happen. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, now now I want to play more Mortal Kombat. Get that character in his DLC. <laughs> Dougie Jones. <laughs> um, all right, so... <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh. So John Savage says, hey, meet me later at the back door of, of the bar. And uh, then the other detective who's smoking outside is like, I need to call Mr. Todd. Mm-hmm. Bringing this all back full circle. So Todd's about to get a phone call like, hey, dumbass Tom Sizemore was here looking for poison. Um. Anyway, then we cut to Dutch and Chantel, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee who really just spend this scene debating Mormonism. Yeah. <laughs> That's Wait, kind you... of the whole scene. Yeah, but I, to be honest with you, I'm cool with it. <laughs> totally fine. You put those two actors. I mean, it, it is almost Tarantino-esque, this scene. Very Part, Tarantino-esque. Partly because it's Tim Roth and, yeah. and Jennifer Jason Lee in the same scene together. And seeing them just kind of talk about like, well, they, they don't have sex through a sheet. You know, that kind of shit. And all we know other than that is that they're on the road. They're in, they're in their, uh, their vehicle, uh, on the road, chit chatting about Mormonism. Mm-hmm. All right. So then 
we go uh, to Janie, who's dropping Thurgy off for work. <laughs> and she looks very pleased, Duncan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thurgy is actually looking pretty Agent Cooper up until he walks into a glass door. <laughs> and because he's got kind of the black suit on and stuff. And so Sizemore watches him to try to get in and fail for a while until uh, he, he's finally like, you know, hey, Dergy, come here. I need uh, Let's go have some coffee. And uh, of course, Dergy is like, coffee. <laughs> and goes with Sizemore. It's like E.T. and Reese's Pieces. Um, so uh, Dergy gets distracted to go look at pies. And you mm-hmm. hear a little bit of static going on as this is happening, too. Um, and we see Sizemore dump his poison into Dergy's drink. And the waitress is like, hey, go enjoy your coffee. I'm going to bring you a nice slice. And uh, then Dergy, on the way back to the table, sees some dust or dirt or sh- some shit on, on uh, Sizemore's back. And just puts his hand there. It's, it's kind of brushing it away, but it's kind of a pat. Mm-hmm. And Sizemore just starts crying. <laughs> uh, and it's like, Dergy, just drink your coffee, Dergy. And then he just totally loses his shit. And then, you know, uh, like kind of confesses all. Yeah. Uh, because he just, he can't take it that Dergy is treating him with such kindness after his betrayal and all this, all this shit. Uh, and one thing I like, um, you know, unfortunately, Sizemore has been one of the people kind of caught up recently in allegations of of sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that or anything, but I, I do like him playing against type on this show. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, this is, if you told me in advance of us watching this um, that, you know, we were going to we we're going to spend as much time as we, and it's not a huge amount of time, but as much time as we have with Sizemore's character, it was just like one of these random one-shot cameos that a lot of a lot of uh, people have been purely because of the the 275 kind of a to b list cameos and here i would have genuinely thought more along the mitchum brothers than this character so it's been it's been refreshing to see it's been really good actually in the show and like you say we'll not go into anything out with that that's been publicized in the last two weeks Right, right. Just looking strictly at his performance, it's it's quite good on this show. And um yeah, so you know, he finally is like, I'm you know, Dergy, I'm sorry. Uh and then we cut over to the double R where we get a call from uh Becky to Shelly. Mm-hmm. And uh Becky says that Steven eh, has been gone for a couple of years. <laughs> That's a really good Steven. Yeah, I know. It's it's <laughs> dead on. Um, and and then Shelly just is like, just come down to the diner. We're gonna have some pie, uh, and and sit down and talk about this. So just so that quick insert scene, but mm-hmm. you know, we're setting that up. Then we cut back to Sizemore, who is now uh making the full confession. He says he's been working for Todd that he's going to testify against Todd and the cops. Yeah. And thanks Dougie again for his kindness. And so uh, 
Tom Sizemore turns out to be a bit of a, a, a milk toast uh, in this scenario, but yeah. now you know there like this is something that you would say to Agent Cooper. Of course, of course, this is the this is the Cooper effect, right? It just it exudes. You are going to confess your sins to me. Um, he's very Jesus like in that way, Duncan. Ooh, I see what you're as well it. as returning from the dead. Hmm, <laughs> hmm Duncan. Hmm. Um. <laughs> I hear you, and I read you. Uh, mm-hmm. mm, indeed. Uh, Bobby <laughs> strolls into the double R later, uh, and he orders the usual. Uh, Shelly has already gone home, and uh, Norma and Big Ed. Big Ed. Finally. Fucking 13 Finally. episodes. 13 episodes, David Lynch. Yeah. Hey, Big Ed. Nice to see you, man. Well, the last time we saw him was just him eating alone. Uh, You know, like what was it stew or something out of a can i mean it was just like the saddest thing you ever saw but so big ed's back and uh he and norma are are, are sitting down for dinner and, and and if you're like me duncan a hopeless romantic that i am i see ed and norma sitting down together i'm like well fucking about time did you see i didn't so <laughs> so norma is gonna go uh grab ed's dinner but we see that she has another guy and Ed and Bobby just moved to, to leave him alone. Uh, the guy, it turns out is, uh, like sort of a business partner who wants, uh, is in charge of franchising. turns out there's, there's other double R diners. Uh, yeah. It turns out Norma's gone national. Yeah, and and Norma, it, like he's given her the business about how much her pies cost, mm-hmm. uh, and that this location, like the home location of the Double R Diner, uh, isn't as profitable as the others, uh, because they're kind of selling the pies at a loss because of the ingredients that they use. And Norma is a bit of a hippie. Uh, a, a hippie, or would you say a traditionalist? Bo, I would uh, say traditionalists. Well, uh, you know what's the difference. Um, <laughs> But she's like, you know, our our job is to make good pies. And um, so, but it turns out also that the other locations might be changing their ingredients and maybe shortcutting a little bit. Yep. This is pretty much what this guy says. And then he goes one step further and says, you know, this double R, it should be called Norma's double R diner. Because it's your, we, we did Poland here and it's your name that people gravitate to. And when I'm hearing this, I can't help but think of Bill Hicks. Well, that if you work in marketing, Kill yourself. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah, this guy's a real piece of shit. Uh I don't like him at all. Um, but he's he's a business type, and I can only imagine that David Lynch himself is like, Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll know for sure if he meets the <laughs> meets a rather grisly end on the show. Um so <laughs> uh, that would be that would be satisfying. Um then uh one of those things happens that uh you know you just you live for watching this show dr jacoby (laughs) (laughs) oh my god this is like this is this is one of these dream scenarios where you're like i wonder like see if you'd watch the original series that being cancelled and all the rest see if you're duncan and bo like a couple of months ago you'd be like one of the biggest regrets is we never got these two Colossus or Colossi, whatever it is, uh, on the same screen at the same time 
doing it now. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing, because, like, Jacoby, and obviously, Jacoby's, like, interactions with a character we're about to mention in the second season were that she was a bit goofy and wasn't quite there and all the rest. So we didn't get the true incarnation of both characters. And finally, Bo, finally, the stars align. And um, what brings them together is a gold-plated shit shovel. Yep, the gold-plated shit-digging shovel that hangs so prominently in the window of... The silent drapes. Run silent, run drapes. (laughs) It's the greatest thing ever. The fact that you can put the words together, the gold shit-digging shovel was hanging in the window of run silent, run drapes. It's it's a contribution to humanity (laughs) that David Lynch has done. It's so so fucking wonderfully weird. I love it. So Dr. Jacoby sees this and is like, hey, that's my shovel. And then rings the doorbell and uh, out pops Nadine. Hey! (laughs) And (laughs) there she is. Then Dr. Amp says one of the greatest things I've ever heard, which was the last time that he saw Nadine she was on her hands and knees looking for a potato. <laughs> mm. Oh, that feels good. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> and that's kind of it for this scene. We're going to get more of it, but uh, it is yeah, the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Dr. Amp! <laughs> Your shovels changed my life. <laughs> uh, it's oh, it's so good. Um, then we get to Sarah Palmer, Duncan. Because she... shit is not dark enough. Yeah, she's not having the greatest time ever of anything. Honestly, to like she once again is another character that I'm like that. Like, can we give some awards out to to cast members and Twin Peaks? See if Twin Peaks doesn't clean up uh, whatever award ceremonies coming up that they can clean up on, then. You know, let's just burn the corrupt system to the Grimbo. Let's burn it. We'll we'll have our own awards that we'll call the Twin Peaks Easies. The twi- <laughs> Twin Peaks Easies. Yeah. So, Sarah is watching an old boxing movie on uh, her television. Um, which uh, you know, I, it's I, stuck I, in a look bowl. Well, in my notes, I said, I wonder if there's kind of this weird Bushnell connection because you know he's a former boxer and. Some things on on Twin Peaks are random. Some things are not. You and there's also it's well, you've also got to think about the 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 idea of loops and and this season of Twin Peaks as well. When you think about the the lumberjack smoking man repeating the same phrase over and over and over again, I think the last time we were in Sarah Palmer's house, right near the beginning of the season, was she not watching a hunting program? Which I was like a one of these nature programs, which I think was also on some sort of weird loop. Um, Well, you can hear the electricity kind of crackling and the repetition of the dialogue from this boxing movie. Yeah. Her, her house is, uh, her house is black lodge AF. Yeah. Yeah. And she seems largely nonplussed by the goings on. If you, I suppose you just get used to it after a while. Right. And she's um, drinking like there there was a couple of empty bottles em- empty liter bottles of um of the vodka lying there and many unchanged ashtrays which were filled to the brim. So she's just chain smoking and drinking vodka twenty four seven. 
Yeah, and watching the same eight seconds of boxing movie mm -hmm. until she goes sane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's the twist. Mm -hmm. Sarah goes from crazy to normal thanks to the haunting. Um, thanks to the Black Lodge, I can now get my shit together. Uh, said no one ever <laughs> on Twin Peaks. Thank you, Black Lodge. Thanks for being a source of normalcy in my life. <laughs> um, all right. So then we go to Audrey and Charlie. Yeah. And all right. So we're getting into kind of the weirdness of what's going on with Audrey here. Just a bit. We're still and, not quite there, but as weird, but weird. Right. Something's up because she keeps saying, I feel like I'm someone else and I'm, I'm somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And Charlie is like, what were you supposed to go do? And she says, well, I was supposed to go to the roadhouse and look for Billy. And he's like, right, I'm going to take you there. And then she says, interestingly, it's not like Ghostwood. Yes. There. And then she's like, I don't know if I should stay or go. And Charlie is getting more menacing in mm -hmm. the scene. Like there, there's a real, where he seemed kind of, you know, like the cuckolded husband before there seems to be an element of control that he has that has not yet revealed itself. Um, and also that there's some like Audrey herself saying like, I, I don't know sort of what the way out of this is. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so Audrey seemingly, I, my early prediction here, Duncan, not knowing nothing about nothing yet beyond what we've watched thus far is that she is caught up in some real BLS yeah well we we already have slight theories about maybe where her child has come from right and so i don't i don't know where she and much like audrey herself like as a viewer i don't know where she is but i feel like i i have a, a pretty healthy understanding that uh there is something magical you know dark magical uh in in the twin peaks realm Mm -hmm. going on here yeah so we we leave them to have <laughs> one of the greatest moments like again this show just keeps spreading its petals <laughs> and each one is more beautiful than the last <laughs> because we are treated to the dulcet tones of one uh james hurley hey everybody um <laughs> It's like this. It's like the writer of this episode, where Mark Frost said, "This one's for Bo." It really is because as soon as you hear that, just you and I, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And Duncan. Everybody in the roadhouse appropriately shuts the fuck up because he's killing it. He's killing something. <laughs> we have backup singers, just you. And we have a band. It's it's moving, Duncan. Uh, one can only assume this is the same audio track that they use. <laughs> of course it is. He'd be recording this shit. Let's just play it for one season. 
It's amazing, Duncan. <laughs> oh, dear. It was time for me to shine. <laughs> there, and, and we, thank goodness, we have more James on the way. Uh, so we're not going to linger here too long, but just to say, you guys... You guys, seriously. Yeah. In this episode of Twin Peaks The Returnsies, James Hurley gets on the stage of the Roadhouse and sings the stupid Just You and I song. Mm hmm. It, my, my nipples could have cut glass. <laughs> uh, it was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me since Run Silent, Run Drape. Um, and, and so the episode concludes. Uh, with my misremembered scene, because I was saying earlier, hey, the last time we saw Big Ed was this saddest shit thing. And it turns out I forgot that the saddest shit thing happened at the end of this episode, mm -hmm. which is Big Ed at Big Ed's gas farm. Back at the gas farm. Eating to go soup and watching no one stop at the pumps. Yeah. And the note I have is credits roll and everyone is bummed. Yeah. It <laughs> is... I, I like if they don't God damn it, Duncan, if somebody doesn't throw big at a bone <laughs> somewhere in this series, I'm gonna be upset. Is it is it is it weird that it looked like at the end of season two of Twin Peaks, well towards the end, that it might be Nadine that was gonna be left you know, like the sad, lonely character, and Ed may have potentially ended up with his uh, happy ever after. Is it weird that we're into this now, and one of them is fr thriving as a singleton, and the other one is not? <laughs> Do you? Uh, I mean, is Nadine thriving? She's happy. I uh, fair enough. She got she everything seen, she ever wanted. Yeah. She got everything yeah. she ever wanted. She, You're right. She got our our silent drape shop. Um, she got to meet her hero, and while she didn't end up with the man that she fell in love with, um, Big Ed, uh, she seems to be doing okay. And Big Ed, on the other hand, seems to be surviving, as the word is, just. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, you're right. Poor Big Ed. But then again, he did conduct, or, or planned on conducting an affair with a you know his high school sweetheart while his wife was clearly mentally ill yeah so maybe he's not you know completely blameless but i got it i understood um i'm a high school girl <laughs> i'm gonna hang out with norma i get it um anyway duncan episode 14 yeah, can, can we just say episode 13, just in general, once again, is is just proven on the trajectory that this show's on, that, like, every episode just is a fucking home run. Like, episode 13, a little bit of perspective here. Episode 13, Doppel Cooper takes over a fucking gang by killing Jason Borkins <laughs> after breaking his arm in an arm wrestling match. Uh-huh. Right? That happens. That happens in this show. Right? Tom Sizemore ends up a blubbering mess confessing all. Um, and then, if, you know, like, Janie E ends up with a brand new car and 
and, and little Sunny Jim has a like a, a jungle gym which has apparently its own set of like roaming flashlights. <laughs> oh, it's the best. Full light system out the back as well. Sure. It's got a DJ stand. It, it's got everything. It's got the works, right? And then if all that wasn't enough, Bo, all that wasn't enough, right? We then are back in Twin Peaks, meeting up with some characters that we, we haven't seen for a while, combining characters that we really wanted to see come together. And whilst it may have ended on a sour note, Bo at least got to hear his favourite part of Twin Peaks played live on the stage with the band. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it is a powerhouse episode. Yes. But Duncan. Which means the next episode is going to be weird. Because <laughs> that's what they do in this. Every time you get one of these powerhouse, powerhouse narrative linear episodes, the following episode is surreal as fuck. Um, I don't know about that, Duncan. I feel like we uh we have a pretty firm grasp of what's happening, and <laughs> that will continue to be true. In no way will my deputy Andy impression be relevant in the, of, of in all the coming episode of all people of all people that, to end up in that's the lodge. <laughs> that's the genius of this episode is it's the that fucking guy. It's. I love how like, it's it's perfect. We're going to get it's back to perfect. it, but he, he comes back very un-Andy like. Well, but also very Andy like yes. in some ways because like Andy for all his his dumb shit activity, when shit is when it goes down and it's a right or wrong scenario, yeah, Andy stands up for what's right, yeah. And and tries to protect people when he can, and and that's we're getting ahead of ourselves, Duncan. Yeah, let's let's um, re- <laughs> let, let's rewind the back episode fourteen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, let's rock. Let's rock. Oh god. I, <laughs> here's you know the problem with this this episode episode fourteen, and and episode thirteen as well. Not enough, Diane. Uh, we'll get to it. Yeah. So but, but, whoa, we're gonna yeah, but fucking huge news in this episode it's huge this one's another one that i'm just like let's celebrate how fucking awesome this show is this show gives us everything we want well like everything yeah one does not want forgiveness things we want including someone's going to be arrested but i'm jumping ahead shut up everyone all right um so the episode opens with one gordon cole making a call to lucy mm-hmm Hey, Lucy, um, <laughs> you're still there. Uh, so there's a pretty funny exchange between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, she don't say something like she occasionally has to go and get lunch or something. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I leave, but then I come back. All right. Uh, <laughs> Look at us so, when he just like sits in perfect fucking silence. <laughs> just like without <laughs> the weird getting Gordon Goldface as if he's about to say something or he's not quite heard what you said. <laughs> Right, yeah, or just is a little a, a little put off by I don't understand what she's telling me <laughs> or how could this possibly matter. Anyway. So, he's he wants to talk to Sheriff Truman. Uh she sends him back with the usual it's the white blinking line. Yep. Um and so we have a moment where Gordon Cole and uh Frank Truman are chatting. He thought it was Harry though at first. Did think it's Harry and he asks about it and uh you know as, as every it, it's kind of weird because everyone on the show when they first talk to Frank the first thing they say is like 
best to Harry, you know, like yeah. everyone's immediately <laughs> does the thing that normal people do, which is, is to sort of start with the like, oh, hey, I'm sorry about what's going on with your brother, but hey, here's the show we got to get to. Yeah. Um, and the shit that they've got to get to is uh, Frank ha is telling them about the pages that they found in the Twin Peaks bathroom, mm -hmm. our sheriff department bathroom. And also all these messages about the two Coopers and like kind of giving them what, what they've been working on with uh, uh, Truman Hawk and uh, Andy. Sorry. I, I, right. I totally forgot that was happening. Now. I know. Ooh. I know. It's been a while. I know. I know. A little rusty like a trombone. Um, and sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but uh, so, but Gordon is like, hey, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, But Frank says, hey, can I ask, you know, what this is about? And uh, Gordon tells him, like, you know, I can't tell you that, but what I can say is that you've been helpful. Yeah. And uh, let him know, like, hey, we're on the same side here. I can't, uh, I can't give you the government shit, you know. But... Your eh, thumbs up, Frank. Um, so the implicit thumbs up, Frank. Uh, that should be a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> Albert and uh, Tammy are chatting. And Albert, like, this is another of those moments of like, please let this be my life. Where <laughs> Albert is just telling her what the first Blue Rose case was. Yeah, so we're getting some, we're getting some history here. It's linking back into stuff from the the secret history of Twin Peaks. Um, it's linking back into stuff we kind of know, but it's giving a bit more meat on the bones uh, as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, the the original case was a, a woman named Lois Duffy mm -hmm. uh, in 1975, and um, there is uh, sort of I'm trying to think of how best to tell this story. It's basically there was a woman who was found dead, and then they find another body. Yeah, that's the same person. Much like the uh, Doppel Cooper scenario, mm -hmm. and the the way that Albert puts it is that the it, Lois Duffy is a tulpa, which I looked up, Duncan. Oh, and a tulpa, uh, it, it's where he's like, you know, I think I, I take that back. I think it's Tammy who uses the term tulpa here, but uh, tulpa is a thought form or being created from the collective thoughts of separate individuals. The concept of tulpas is theoretical in nature and originates from Tibetan mythology. Tibet. Where tulpas, right? Where tulpas are described as extra bodies that were created from one person's mind in order to travel to spiritual realms. Ah. Interesting. So, right? Um, so Gordon is there and, uh, they're about to talk some shit. Uh, but of course they were saying window washer who keeps peeking in and Gordon has like down, you know, has to like wave him away, which was pretty funny. Um, and then Diane enters again, not a lot of Diane, but I'm happy when I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, so Gordon asks if Cooper mentioned major Briggs, 
uh, on the last night that Diane and uh, and Cooper were together, and she says he did. And then Albert shows her the wedding ring that they found in Briggs' stomach. Mm-hmm. You ready for some shit, Duncan? I'm ready. I'll know the answer to this, but I'm ready to be shocked again. So the inscription, of course, in, inside the the band of the wedding ring, like we always knew, it was uh, uh, Dergie's wedding ring because it had a uh, an inscription from Janie E. Yeah, inside. So they show her this wedding ring, and Diane is like, uh, "Janie E. is the nickname of my half sister." Mm-hmm. Fucking Diane and Janie are sisters. Yeah. I know, right? And so Gordon immediately, and and she tells him like the last time, we're like we're we're not in touch. The last time I talked to her, she married some guy named Doug Jones in Las Vegas. Does this not, like does this not all now mm. start to make sense, Bo? Oh man, it's all fucking coming together. So Gordon calls the FBI field office in Vegas. And ask them to find out everything they can about Dougie Jones. Mm -hmm. And also, the Vegas field office is kind of (laughs) intense. Some fucking super intense. This guy's a dickhead boss. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of, get on it! Um, Then, one of the greatest things that happens on this show happens again. uh, Or happens for the first... Like, a great thing happens again. You just can't keep up with it all. all Are we talking about the dream here now? Oh God! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about this is generally in any other any other show you would get a yeah I had a dream I had the you know, Monica Bellucci dream all right and that would be it but not in Twin Peaks in Twin Peaks you get to live the Monica Bellucci dream. <laughs> yeah, right. So Gordon is saying I you know I had the Monica Bellucci dream again, and Albert's just like fucking all right. Let's do this. Like, you can just see it on his face. Like, oh, here we go. Buckle in for Gordon's Monica Bellucci fantasies. And, but they cut to, like you said, the dream. It's like black and white. And it's it's him meeting Monica Bellucci in a cafe. By the way, it's worth stressing. Monica Bellucci. Right. So this is not like like someone, but Monica Bellucci. Right. Irreversibles. Monica Bellucci. Oh, yes. The Matrix uh, revolutions are whatever monica bellucci yeah anyway uh shoot 'em ups monica <laughs> which is the one she's so, most notably known for so uh, of, course. Yeah, of course um <laughs> but yeah so monica bellucci rolls up in in fucking twin peaks here's david lynch sitting across the table from monica bellucci just staring at each other and in the dream they're meeting at this cafe and they're having coffee and gordon says he can see agent cooper but his face is hidden yeah and then Monica Bellucci says, we're like the dreamer who dreams mm-hmm. and then lives inside the dream. Yeah. But who is the dreamer? Mm-hmm. And then Gordon gets un- uneasy, made uneasy by that. And then Monica Bellucci tells Gordon to look behind him. And he sees himself from long ago. And we get... Uh, a bit of that fire walk with me scene. Oh yes, with David Bowie as Jeffrey oh, yes. running in. Oh yes, and and so it's all like this connection of oh, uh, in this dream, I'm like what <laughs> what David Bowie says when he runs in is sort of like 
referencing the time loop kind of shit. Yeah, because once again, like, and I'm I'm like the characters in here. When we spoke about Firewalk with me, I don't think we paid any like great credence to what he actually says when pointing to to um, Cooper. At all, I don't think yeah. we really even. I think it was one of those things where, like, yeah, it's a weird scene, right? He's a weird guy. His accent's well, awful, and then disappears. <laughs> right? Yeah, that yeah, that's true. But um, <laughs> but but also, it was that. I mean, yeah, it's all him being in, like very explicitly tied mm-hmm. to the Black Lodge, yeah. the Jeffries was. I was uh, sorry. I was looking up the exact lines because I don't remember exactly what he says in that scene unless you do. He, point, he points at Agent Cole and says, "Do you know this guy, or does this guy seem familiar?" Oh right, yes, yes, yes. And uh, again, when we're dealing with Doppel Coopers, yes, that seems incredibly relevant. Yeah, because question. yeah, we jump back and like um, uh, Rosenthal. One of the first things he says is, "You know that." Yeah, I hadn't thought about that back then. I was like, no shit, <laughs> Miguel. I'm with you on this one. I had for I had not for one second. It's, it's made, oh, this is what I love about this show. It's making me now think that I don't know where we're going with this, but Philip Jeffries is obviously pivotal now um, to something, and this show better explain it. <laughs> like, better explain yeah. it all, or my head might explode. Like um, some of the characters' heads have already, <laughs> and a, a puff of black smoke. Uh, but yeah, so he pointed specifically pointed out that in the conversation, which was weird. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. So, but it, it's oh man, it's it's some crazy good black lot shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they, you know, now that they've all been kind of reminded of this moment with Jeffries. They're, you know, even Albert is like, I, I didn't remember that. But now that you talk about it, I remember that happening. I remember what Jeffrey said. And yes, it seems super relevant, doesn't it, Gordon? And yes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, like one one of the things that you can't help but feeling getting to episode 14 is like you felt all these loose strands in, in the show. Uh, that were just going on these weird tangents and you weren't sure if they were going to be able to bring it in for a landing. But I'm starting to see those threads start to come together in a way. And uh, it it gives me a great deal of confidence that the ending of the show, while almost assuredly not what I expect it to be, will not be without its own kind of conclusion. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm probably wrong. So, <laughs> which is a sentence that we seem to be saying quite a lot when trying to hypothesize what's coming next <laughs> right well because when you turn around and all of a sudden here's james singing just you and i like who i all bets are all off, all bets are off yeah. <laughs> we're we're riding in the high country um so over at the twin peak sheriff department um we get a really satisfying moment oh just a Bet, both. It's like really satisfying as an understatement. This is a fucking end of Independence Day, high five, people celebrating all around the world. You know, I'm back. I like that <laughs> yeah, kind of fucking, stand up and cheer moment. Yeah, of course it is. This is great because uh, all our officers are in the boardroom 
um, getting ready to what we at first think is talk about some sort of case, and then who fucking shows up but Chad? Fuck Chad. Fuck, fuck, fuck you, Chad. Fuck you, Chad. Yeah, piece of shit. So he walks and, in, and um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all just standing there, and then out of nowhere, Bo, out of fucking nowhere, he's arrested. Throw the cuffs on him. Yep. Fucking put him in gin pop right now. Uh, <laughs> Which most people might not know is the origin story. I like to see Twin Peaks as being the precursor to Maniac Cop. Oh, <laughs> that'd be pretty great. Chad is the Maniac Cop. Um, yeah, Chad's a real piece of shit. And it turns out they've been watching him for months. And his latest move with mail fraud, I suppose, is the last straw. Yeah. And uh, and they and they lock him up. Um, so now that Chad's out of the picture for the moment, yeah, our crack squad of Hawk, Bobby, Andy, and Frank. I had to wait. I had to wait till you I, finished your run. There, I I understand. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, they're heading into the woods, and just constantly accompanied by this electrical crack. Oh, yes. So we know we are in Black Lodge territory or BLT. BLT. As it's famous. Yeah, my, 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 my favorite of all the territories, Bo. So tasty, succulent. Mm. <laughs> no one has ever used BLT before. <laughs> I think I coined it. BLT, Black Lodge territory. You're going to love it. All right. <laughs> just, yeah, just, just don't buy the BLT from China. 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 Giant. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's good to know that we could still alienate our audience. Um, what audience? I, Just me and you at this point. Yeah, fair point. Um, so, we, we find the Jackrabbit's Palace, which was the thing that the map we found was pointing to, mm-hmm. which was the place that Bobby named. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a place that he and uh, he and his dad, uh, Major Briggs, would uh, would go there. And, um, yeah, it's kind of this remote spot out in the middle of nowhere. Um, they put soil in their pockets, as per the rules. Mm-hmm. And then they have to march east. And they find this kind of misty spot and there's electricity crackling all over the place. And there on the ground, Duncan, is a live nude girl. Yeah, this is the one from the third episode who had scar tissue and her eyes clawed out that kept talking about her mother banging on the door. Yeah, uh, Naido, I believe, is her name. Ah, right, so she does have a name. That's cool that uh but you you would you would have loved this because um she didn't exactly talk like a human she kind of talks like a monkey <laughs> it was like that did bo write this script <laughs> can i yeah. see this script please someone please which is not once again the only reference to a monkey on this show and uh, black lodge yes uh monkey faces yeah. um Firewalk with me gives me monkey. Uh, <laughs> Firewalk with me gives me monkey face. Five stars. Boran's the right. <laughs> TLDR monkey face. Five stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, all right. So there's Naido laying on the ground, 
Uh, and like you said, you know, she's still got the jacked up eyes and is still talking like a monkey. And Frank notices it's 253. Mm-hmm. And then a vortex appears above them. Like we saw previously with Gordon Cole uh, when they were investigating the the, the, the Briggs murder case body yes. thing. So. Yeah, the, the same place wherein uh, a lumber ghost uh, what took off Ma- Matthew Lillard's head? Yes, got a light. Um, got a got a light, Shaggy. Um, <laughs> it's a scream, baby. <laughs> Sorry, Black Lodge is gonna be so mad at me. Zoinks! <laughs> right. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah so this vortex appears Mm -hmm. sucking up one andy (laughs) deputy andy and even in my notes it's holy shit andy goes in yeah holy shit andy's in the white lodge (laughs) right but it's a real force gump kind of thing where it's like well but kind of perfect like who else but andy yeah could go to the White Lodge. I mean, it's what's in your heart, right? Yeah. Like when you go there. And so, of course, he goes to the White Lodge. <laughs> Mom always told me that I'd go to the White Lodge. <laughs> Wherever I was going, I was running. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Mom always said I'd get sucked up into a vortex. You never know what you're going to get. Uh-huh. White Lodge. <laughs> Life is like a vortex in the sky. Um, so he gets sucked into the White Lodge, and the giant's hanging out there, just kind of hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. And the giant says, "I am the fireman, Goo Goo Which is, which is, yeah, because this is quite interesting. Because if you've been following the earlier appearances of the giant in the show, when it's come to the credits, his name has just been a series of question marks. Yes. So he's now, now. the fireman, which is interesting, Bob. Well, but it, it makes sense to me because, and like on a metaphorical level, because he's the guy that helps set the balance right. Yeah. Like when when the A-bomb goes off and, and the mother creature birthed Bob, yes. his response to it was this orb of golden light, like a, 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 this this thing that can also be a good to combat the evil. Mm-hmm. So I think the fireman is a great name for this character. Yeah. Um and and certainly speaks to his benevolent nature. Yeah, because he gets like essentially Andy gets the full backstory here through a kind of video pane screen above him, where he sees like ever everything that we saw in episode number eight kind of gets condensed. Right. So I'm like, yeah, at least we're linking it back to episode eight. That's good. Um, but yeah, we right. we see the the bomb go off, the the woodsman Bob, Laura, um, two Coopers. Um, so yeah, we, we get all of that, and then uh, Andy is returned. Right. Well, as well he should be. I mean, he was given the the scoop, and it's sort of the <laughs> the the idea that like the White Lodge can't trust any of the other ones because they're a little too complicated. Yeah. You know, but Andy is just this simple, decent guy who might be a little foolish. But he is he is the noble fool. He is the you know? empty vessel in which the, the sacred message can be transmitted. Yes. And so um 
he he sees like the girl running from the news of Laura's death, Laura, Laura Palmer herself, outflanked by the images of angels. Mm-hmm. And then he sees uh, Nido again, and Cooper and Doppel Cooper, and then leading Lucy into a room where she seems upset. Yeah. And then we get a poll with the number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the object Andy is holding, would you know, which is uh, apparently you know Pandora's box of episode eight recap, <laughs> um, sucks the mist back in. Mm-hmm. Andy disappears and is back in the woods holding the girl. And Andy says, "We need to get her down the mountain. She's important." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says she's physically fine and not to tell anyone about her because people want her dead. Yeah. And everyone else is like, the fuck just happened? Yeah, no, no one can remember. Yeah. Jack. No one can yeah. remember any of the events that happened there. Yeah. So, but in the meantime, we've got this naked uh, Naido uh, in Andy's arms. And so back at uh, Twin Peaks Sheriff Department, Lucy and Andy are helping her get dressed and, and trying to take care of her. And she's just... Um, and they're like, I think she likes it. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Chad's mouthing off again. Fuck you, Chad. Like, fuck not only you, Chad. And or, and but there's a drunk in there as well, who is mimicking Naido's scratchy sounds. Mm-hmm. And so they're both making these noises. And then Chad's like, shut up. And then the dudes, the drunk guy, starts copying Chad playing you know a, a game of just parodying everything he says back and uh my note there was i hope this makes he- chad's head explode <laughs> uh that would be the best outcome of this situation um meanwhile duncan in another show apparently uh james and freddie mm-hmm. are hanging out james hurley and freddie is uh his, his compatriot they uh they are security guards. Yeah. Uh and uh James everybody <laughs> um it, they're just kind of chatting about going to the roadhouse later. We should go to the roadhouse. They have people that look like Laura sometimes. <laughs> and and Freddie has a glove on his hand that he never takes off. And James is like, "What's up with that glove?" And uh, he's like, I can't tell it. Freddie's like, I can't tell you about that. And James's like, it's my birthday. Yeah, he plays the birthday card. Such a low uh-huh. card to play, James. You sneaky son of a bitch. But in fairness, he thinks every day is his birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday today. I'm this many. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so Freddie tells the craziest fucking story you ever heard yeah this is this is like wackadoo crazy david lynch mark frost stuff here like full on and i made notes because there are some slang used here that i don't know because he's english as well and i didn't even get so uh so like i said james's birthday again (laughs) um also uh, Freddie says he got sucked up into a big vortex, which is certainly rele- relevant to what we've been talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, at the moment, I'm not going to discredit what he's saying, because that sounds plausible. 
Yeah, so the fireman is there, and he tells Freddy to go to a hardware store and get an open... There, There's going to be a, a, a pack of gloves there that's going to be open. And it's going to... It, it's just going to have one glove, and he's going to put that glove on, and it's going to give him, and I quote, the power of a pile driver. And uh, as he's telling the story... He, uh, he says, so I, you know, I got sucked in this vortex. I woke up, I got out of bed. I dragged the comb across my head and quoting a day in the life, Duncan, mm-hmm. always scoring points with me. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it when you do that. Um, so then he says the guy's a jobs worth. Is that a real thing or is that a made up? No, a jobs worth. Not even a thing. Okay. So he explains what that is. He calls the guy at the hardware store a jobs worth because he, uh, only does what he feels his jobs worth. Yeah. And Which is a phrase that we use over here. So it's a good phrase. All right, what about? Use it. I it's pretty good. So what about snapped his Gregory? That's yeah. That's kind of some sort of Cockney slang or some sort of that's some sort of regional slang from England. Like I right, understood well, it when he was saying it, but purely because right, I've watched in context. Yeah, I've I've watched many, 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 many guy Ritchie movies <laughs> so. all right so so it really is a thing okay so because it all sounded like just nonsense um <laughs> like is mark frost had a stroke here yeah. right, well I, I was i, I was recently watching a, a comedian uh who said you know the, the great or the thing that england must feel the worst about is not only that we left and beat them in a war but that we stole their language and perfected it oh uh, really yeah. really it's like that is it? i like it i like it um oh, yeah. Well, yeah doesn't sound right, like so a very funny to, comedian but i'm just saying it let, let's t- get back to <laughs> fucking bananas so freddie then says that he basically had to like he put money down for the the one glove but the guy behind the counter was telling him you can't you can't buy some, an open package. And and so even though he paid for it, Freddie kind of had to steal the glove. Yeah. And then takes off out of the shop and blah, blah, blah. So now he puts on this glove that he can't take off because at the beginning of this, he says, I can't take it off. The last time they tried, like it started bleeding. Yeah. So he's got this latex green glove on his hand that apparently has the power of a pile driver. And James is like, that's stupid. And he's like, well, the fireman told me that I needed to go to Twin Peaks because that's where I'm going to find my fate. Yeah. So who knows what that fate is right now? Clearly, you would think it will be in service of Agent Cooper, uh, the real Agent Cooper and his agenda. You get get the feeling that maybe the fireman is stacking his cards for the final endgame. Right, that putting his his pieces on the board. Yeah. We've got uh, Naido. We've got Deputy Andy. Uh, who would have thought? <laughs> um, and you know our team in Twin Peaks already. Now we've got Freddy with his super hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's not rule out Harry Dean Stanton just yet. Yep. Uh, Carl. I mean that clearly a White Lodge influence character, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Uh, as well as, you know, one would think the eventual return of uh, Agent Cooper. So, um, at any rate, I like this idea, though. I like, I like you know, the fireman assembling his his, uh, his pawns as, uh, you know, Bob and or the mother figure does the same. Yeah. Um, very standish in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. 
enough of that. Um, <laughs> where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So James goes to check the furnaces where we hear this kind of high ringing sound. And also it's just spooky as fuck uh, <laughs> where, where James is. Um, but that's kind of it. It's just him like wandering around for a bit. Then Duncan. Fucking hell. <laughs> Are we going to the bar? Is that what you're about to tell me? We, yeah, the Elks number nine bar. Yeah, this, this scene's fucking badass as fuck. <laughs> Sarah Palmer, badass uh, alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we would have just said alcoholic until this scene, and now it's badass alcoholic. Right. She shuffles in uh, and orders a Bloody Mary, uh, which I always find to be more of a breakfast cocktail. But, you know, to each their own. Um, There's vodka in it, so she's happy. Yeah, sure. So she's having a seat at the bar, having a smoke, and uh, an old ponytail dude in a baseball cap. (laughs) And a t-shirt that Uh, says, truck you, which is fucking amazing. It's pretty great. (laughs) Uh, But in fairness, all Americans have it. Like everything, I'm just thinking about all the the merch they could have done off the back of this show. You know, truck you t-shirt member, what was the... Uh, do not disturb the donut thing for the Which door. One? Oh yeah, donut disturb. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I, I mean. mean the marketing this is fucking uh, amazing. But, uh, but only if these things now exist in the physical world that we can buy them. Right, but it's also shit that like eighty-seven people are gonna buy. Yeah, that are just like I gotta. Yeah, have of course, to make them in limited batches of one hundred to put the price up an extra ten dollars and watch them go. You know what? Off to Etsy we go. Yeah, I'm sure someone. <laughs> Don't be there. Of course, of course. I think I bought like the only two Twin Peaks T-shirts that I actually own are Etsy. So, sure. Um, so uh, ponytail, um, is given Sarah the eye, which all right, you know, any port in a storm, I guess. Um, he and, and so he finally gets up from his his stool at the edge of the bar and and starts to kind of make a pass at her. Bad move. Yeah, and Sarah tells him to fuck off. She says, do you really want to fuck with this? Which, yeah. coming out this, like, small, weird, eccentric sort of woman, I kind of, at first I was like that, uh, really, is that what we're doing? But then, uh, <laughs> then she backs it up, boy. <laughs> well, he calls her a cunt. Yeah, which I thought, whoa, we're on showtime. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not only that, you have up the stakes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> And you, she will see your cunt <laughs> and raise you a taking off of her face, yeah. which reveals black energy crackling behind her facade of humanity. Yeah, kind of smoke as well, which I thought was it was kind of smoky energy, which makes me yeah, wonder: yeah. is she White Lodge? Because we saw that smoky energy just in this episode. Yes, but also, she then lashes out. <laughs> she rips his throat out, like Rambo, and rips yeah, <laughs> rips his throat out. But but gets no blood on yep. her, and she tells like she freaks a out. Of that. She's like, oh, oh, I was just sitting here having my drink. <laughs> You're like what? right, and the the bartender is like, come on, lady, like his throat's torn out, mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't know what happened. Um, which, you know, you can potentially make the argument that she is, uh, Black Lodge possessed and at times maybe doesn't know it could be. what she's doing. Or... We, we do know that our house is literally over the hellhole, so. 
Right. Like she is Buffy living on the hell yep. now. <laughs> uh, and as usual, I will turn it to Buffy the Vampire Slayer any chance I get. <laughs> uh, Duncan, let me tell you about the episode called Hush. We're going to do it right after. Oh, you don't need to tell me about that. I've got it tatted on my arm bow, so. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, so uh, we end the scene with her clearly like we have definitive proof that not only is she being haunted by black lot <laughs> shit she is just ate up with it yeah um possessed or something and and clearly a tool i like even though you see the smoky stuff i don't think there's anything white lodge about what she does here uh, uh, i don't I know i just don't know i just don't know i, I don't i right I'm like who are we to divine the nature of the gods it would also be um, strange if she was corrupted because my theory thus far is that that little insect creature from episode eight went into her and then she gave birth to Laura and Laura becomes right. the, you know, the, the, the good, the good energy. And she obviously inherits some of her mother's abilities, so to speak, um, which makes me think that she's white lodge. It did see, maybe she's white lodge, but she's just being corrupted. I don't know. I, I don't yeah, know who fought those at this stage? Or the battle between the white and black lodge is taking place inside. Yeah, like her. the force ball, like the force. Yeah. Oh, fucking love this show. Um, <laughs> so then we we end this episode, Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, by heading over to the roadhouse where uh, Megan is played by Shane Lynch. Yes. Uh, and and uh, Sophie are chit chatting, and we hear uh, a story being told about Billy rolling up into one of their houses, um, just showing up at the window, and then uh, also the girl stole a sweater from Paula, which is a name we've heard from Audrey recently, just like Billy, mm-hmm. and she was saying, "Oh, there's blood coming out of Billy's nose and mouth," and then Billy runs out immediately after. And so it's just, and also uh, this is Tina's daughter, uh, who is a name we heard mentioned by Audrey as mm-hmm. well. And there, there's a point where this girl says, oh, my uncle was there. But at the end of the story, she says, I don't remember if my uncle was there or not. And uh, then uh, an artist named Lissy uh, plays a song called Wild Wild West. And... So the end, the capper on this scene or uh, on this episode uh, with them kind of chit-chatting about all these names that we didn't know when Audrey was talking about it. Now that it's kind of come back like, oh, it is real world stuff. And they're at the roadhouse and they're talking about these people that Audrey was talking Mm -hmm. about. But we don't know who any any of them are um, other than there is some relationship between them. And I don't know, man, like all the Audrey stuff is so weird vague to me yeah. right now like i mean very pointedly like you know it, it's on purpose yeah we do uh, still have they're... four hours of tv left to go though so we do we do and i cannot wait to get to the next couple of episodes because i want to know what the fuck is happening well you know what was weird about this one as well though just in general more than 75 percent of this episode set in twin peaks which i don't think there's been any other episode which has had that ratio Mostly we're traveling other places, doing other things, but the majority of it was Twin Peaks based. So I don't know if that's is now starting to lean more into this is where we ultimately know whatever the final battle is in this this uh, season. It's going to end up in Twin Peaks, 
Uh, so I don't know if that's us now leaning more into that. We have spent a bit more time in the peaks area recently, so I don't know if we're just we're going to be dragged more and more there as the the final episodes uh, episodes move on. But it's, it was a fucking yeah. great episode as well. Um, and the show never ceases to completely surprise me with what it does. Um, to the point that I, I genuinely don't. I, I, I'm following it now. I've almost like I've given up. Like I've given up trying to be too analytical with what I'm seeing, and I just let it wash over me. And as and when I point, where well, I see things that I think are you know that might be referenced to something else, and I take a couple of notes down, and then I spend time online searching my theories to see if you know. They, they tie up but for the most part it's it's a wonderfully weird experience that just keeps delivering episode and episode i mean we are 14 hours 14 hours in to this 18 hour experience and i do not think the show has put a foot wrong at all i can't think of any show that's ever done that it's phenomenal yeah i, I mean it's no surprise to the listeners of of this show that we're kind of in the back for mm-hmm. this um it, yeah it, it to your point though oh my god the uh, the level of surprise and turns and just weird unexpected shit that goes on in the show just makes it like any moment i feel like i wonder like maybe this scene's going on a minute too long or something like that and i'm like what am i talking about like this i have not been disappointed by anything like everything done in this show has been done for a, a reason or another and i've I, i'm kind of at the point of in lynch i trust where i i don't want to guess i haven't even looked at uh theories online or anything because i haven't want to be spoiled by anything mm-hmm. uh so i know like what i know about this show is what i've seen so far and I can't wait to watch the next four episodes because I, yeah, like you said, you can't predict what's going to come next. I have no idea. Like the next episode, Agent Cooper could be back in. in yeah, I, I, we have no. I idea. can't think of any. I, I genuinely can't think of any TV show as well that has been finished for as long as this one does that I genuinely don't know what's happening at the end. I think it, it speaks to how obscure the TV show is. Had this been like a, a The Walking Dead or fucking Game of Thrones or something like that, it would have been nigh impossible to avoid spoilers. Um, but this show's now been off the air for just over, I'll be about two months now, uh, and I still don't know how it finishes. I still don't know if we're ever going to see Agent Cooper as Agent Cooper. Uh, I don't have a fucking clue what's happening with Audrey. I don't know, you know, where where we are going, um, which is hugely refreshing. Um, so yeah, I, I cannot wait. I can't wait to to bring. There are only two episodes of of our journey left, but four episodes of the TV show. So um, yeah, it's, it's all to play for, Bo. It's getting really exciting and also kind of sad that we are two recordings away from from finishing our journey. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that being said, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. uh, what a what a fun ride! Uh, and I'm I I'm already proud of these episodes, uh, and you know how I hate to feel good about things. <laughs> so expect the next two episodes to be uh, a, a bald faced attempt to drive off any listeners we have remaining. Yep, we can um, do. It. Yeah, I feel like we can. Uh, I I've got. 
a lot of really upsetting ideas <laughs> that I, I, I just want to talk about. Um, most most of them about child violence. So buckle in, get ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kidding. I, we would never do no. that. The show has enough child violence without us bringing extra into it. Um, but so yeah, so that's uh, episodes thirteen, fourteen. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, you know, very soon. Hopefully, uh, this will be weekly to wrap this up, and it uh, it'll be fifteen and sixteen next mm-hmm. time. Uh, in the meantime, Duncan, are you looking forward to seeing anything in the coming week? Uh, yeah, I'm. I plan to binge watch um, American Horror Story Cult, which I think I saw the first two episodes, and then I was watching so much other stuff, and that has now finished. Um, so it must have had a shorter run like Roanoke I think it's maybe 9 or 10 episodes so I'm kind of hoping before we record next I will have watched them all um, which I'm kind of looking forward to the first two episodes were wonderfully weird that I didn't have a clue where it was going so I kind of feel that I need to catch up with that now um, and hopefully I'm trying to think what else probably another two or three uh, kind of newer movies I'm hoping to catch Murder on the Orient Express at the the cinema, it's been out for a week, um, and uh, Silence of the Lambs is playing back over here in cinemas for for a weekend at kind of independent cinema chain in Scotland. And my friend has never seen it, so we're supposed to be going to see that in the cinema. So, oh, and he's wow. only he's only he's only twenty four. So, um, yeah, and he saw that they showed the trailer for for it while we were there watching another feature, and. Um, it was a different cut of the trailer, and he turned around and said to me, "This movie looks terrifying." And I was like, "Yep, I need to go." <laughs> right. Let, let, I want to watch that yes. with you. I want to watch you watch yep. that. He knows nothing of it as uh, well. He knows who Hannibal Lecter is, but that's it. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, there is there is nothing quite like the joy of w- being with someone to experience a movie that's that yeah. good for the first oh, yes. time. Where you, there are certain scenes where you're like, okay, I just want to watch them react to, you know, whatever, like the uh, the scene of Jodie Foster in the basement Ugh. when it, it's pitch black, mm-hmm. and oh man, god damn, that movie is just a, a work on. Mm-hmm. Um, what about yourself? What you got planned in the interim? You going out to check I'm out this? Watch uh, Silence of the Lambs again. <laughs> you, you're going to go out and experience this wonderfully um, disjointed drab experience that is the the new DC Justice League no, movie. I'll, or Are you going to give that one a miss? I know how much you love I'll, that series already. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I recently uh, rewatched uh, Wonder Woman because uh, I got it as a screener and watched that again and. I think Wonder Woman is a perfectly fine movie. I think, you know, it's an origin story, but it, it, Gal Gadot is is good in it. Um, so I'm not as down on Justice League as I would have been pre-Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. Th- that said, I, I'm i not rushing to the theater to see it. I, I'll catch it when it hits home video and, and be perfectly content with that. Um, you know, even, I don't, you know, I saw... Uh, uh, the Thor Ragnarok in the theater, which was enjoyable. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just more into that vein of film because those Marvel movies tend to be a little more lighthearted and colorful. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I'm looking for for those movies. I just Le- I want, I want some bright the, shit. Le- the only reason I would ever watch that movie 
the the new Thor movie is one I really like the director. I think he's Taika Waititi is all yeah, over that I, movie. In fact, plays a part. Yeah, I love that aspect. But the second and only other reason I would want to see that movie is Goldblum. Like the greatest thing, yeah. Goldblum's been doing Fuck tons dude. of press just now for that movie, and just seeing loads of videos him appear on things like IGN and Empire Magazine. And that just being Goldblum. Uh, there's a video somewhere of him re- uh, on some a tattoo magazine, like Facebook page of him reacting to people's gold bloom tattoos and it is one of the greatest fucking things that's ever existed i i need to look that up yeah it's just like, like oh. just loads of people's like jeff Goldblum tattoos and just him <laughs> ah 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 uh, <laughs> um it's fucking amazing yeah that's the only reason i would watch that movie i'm not invested in that franchise at all i don't i don't think you, like it. you absolutely don't have to be that movie is a comedy first and foremost mm-hmm. and they know like they just put a camera on goldblum and they were like just read these lines or don't just whatever you're gonna do <laughs> we just want to capture that for posterity and uh take Watiti is very funny in it he voices a rock monster and whatnot and uh yeah it's it, it it's a great big puppy dog of a movie like you can't even if you don't like it you can't hate mm-hmm. it it's it's just too goofy um but anyway uh, that's not what i'm gonna watch that's what i did watch i'm gonna like i'm on the the run of all right what have i missed this year what do i need to watch that i've been putting off uh, for end of the year kind of consideration. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I need to watch Raw still. I still haven't watched it's Raw. It's really, really, really good. Uh, really uh, good. Yeah, I, I I would feel like I would be doing my list a disservice if I didn't get that under the belt. Um, and I'll, I'll probably watch a little more Stranger Things. I, I need to give that a little more a little more time. And, uh, and then that's probably it until we talk again, which... Uh, We'll hopefully be quite soon so we can get uh, a, a, another regular episode out next week. Um, and uh, I think we can do that. We're, yeah, we're- I think I think realistically that, you know, I, I'm away in December, uh, beginning of December. Um, and I think we can get our last two episodes recorded and probably out before then. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Well, folks, uh, thanks as always for listening. You can check out this and other uh, podcast programs on legionpodcasts.com you can also find the uh facebook if you want to really yell at somebody about the content of the show uh on facebook the podcast under the stairs is a fine group (laughs) Um, also legion podcasts is also a group where you can reach either of us uh most directly uh and as uh t putts cast uh for the podcast under the stairs regular website page uh, as well as being here on Legion Podcasts as well. Um, Duncan, you got anything else before we get out no, of here? No, just thanks to everyone for continuing to support our journey. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the most notable thing to mention is that whilst me and Bo will finish this journey, and originally I think we planned a couple of months off, um, the announcement that the X-Files is returning very early January means that we will maybe get about a month off, and then we'll be right back at it again. Yep. Wait, why did they pay musicians when they could have? They could have just had us do a cappella. Uh, I mean, 
it's uh, we're like a pair of Bobby McFerrins. Uh, <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks uh, uh, for listening. We'll see you next Bye. week. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.